Mo Facts with Adam Curry for May 25th, 2020. This is episode number 38 with a brand new, beautifully sounding, clean feed. Hello, Mo. <laughs> How you doing, Adam? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm so I'm so excited about the setup. I can finally hear you in all of your glory. Thank you. I'm glad to be here as well. Um, you're sounding like you're sitting right next to me. I know it's it's so it's all of a sudden it became so much more intimate. This show. I'm glad we're doing it at night. We got the lights down. <laughs> you're hanging with Adam and Mo. <laughs> Uh, so uh, a lot of people very uh, excited, some anticipation for this uh, particular episode as we had some um, interesting events take place uh, over the past couple of days. And I can only surmise where we may be heading uh, for today's show, but for sure we didn't do it on Saturdays. We were going to try to attempt to keep that pretty regular because you did have to go down the rabbit hole, correct? Well, I had it all planned out. Friday, I was sitting pretty. I was like, okay, I got what I want to talk about. And then maybe about 10, 10 a.m., my phone started to blow up. <laughs> and the whole world shook from Mr. Well, just go ahead and spin the wheel. Uh, okay, <laughs> all right. Hold on a second. Let me get the wheel. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to figure out what is our topic going to be. What? Gee, I don't know. The wheel seems kind of rigged for today's show. It is the wheel of topics where it stops. Nobody knows except for Mo. And today's topic is: If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black, bingo, boom, shakalaka. And I must tell you, uh, this um, came into my brain very different than it would have six months ago, before we started doing this show. I realized, really? mu- yeah, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I had a much better understanding of what had happened, what had just happened there. I have, and and thank you because you've really uh, educated me and lots of people. And together we've learned a lot of shit about this. It's, it's really, it's really been phenomenal. And when I heard this, I was like, okay. And we- this is a clear cut case of when keeping it real goes wrong. You're watching When Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. (laughs) Is that what Joe was trying to do? Was he trying to keep it real? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... And he got super comfortable. Um, And he... I think he was a bit frustrated, too, because... He's like, I showed up. I gave you 18 minutes. What the hell more you want from me? I mean, that kind of thing. And, it, and it, <laughs> it that's actually, how I took it. Yeah. Well, it, it was like that because his handler was al- had already jumped in. I mean, the interview was basically over. His handler jumped in and said, you know, okay, that's all the time we got. I'm sorry. And then, you know, I don't know if you have all that. But then, you know, Charlemagne was like, hey, man, you can't do this to black media. You got to give us more time. To which Joe <clears throat> actually had some response. And so in a way, he was Joe was kind of baited without him knowing it into the black white well, conversation i see it kind of different though because i think he <laughs> had that that was a pre i think that was a preloaded line and he was waiting to get it off wow like, i mean he was you're telling me someone wrote that for him <clears throat> no i think in his, in his mind he was like i can't wait to oh the, get this line off and when the guy rushed him he was like okay this is my one and only chance to, wow. to you know to to get this, that's how yeah, I read it. I hadn't even considered that because, you know, political consultants are all around this guy telling him what to do. They're not very good because 
well, all kinds of things are going wrong, but I hadn't even considered that maybe he had, he had that one. It's like, all right, I'm going to make it real, and I'll throw this line out. These are my people. They understand me. Very possible. Well, for, for the people that don't know what, what we're talking about, I got the show kind of in segments. Okay. And the first segment is kind of how the whole thing happened and the reception of it. So we're going to go on over to uh, Crystal and Sagar. At, and see their reaction to Joe Biden's statements. A pretty stunning moment this morning when between Joe Biden and Charlemagne the God in an interview on The Breakfast Club, somebody actually predicted that it would always go bad for him and that a terrible clip would go viral. It certainly did. I have no words to describe this interaction. Let's just watch it. You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see. Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, Dude, it's so a- what he says there is if you don't know who you're supporting, then you ain't black. Yeah. First of all, love wow. the addiction. Love the, uh, the way that he's talking there. And of the, course. The disposition as if, you know, that's just how white people should talk to black people. But... What really gets me about this is the, obviously it's a racist idea, but it's his entire mindset towards the black community, towards the black vote, to the way that he looks at the way that he takes their votes for granted. I mean, this is literally, this is literally like a caricature of what the Sanders campaign and the Trump campaign and Republicans have been saying about how Democrats treat black voters for decades now. And he just came out and said it. Yeah. Projection much? (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm I'm glad you brought up the point that you saw it differently than you would have six months ago. Yeah. Because this is a caricature. This is what we've been saying for a very long time. And I did a a little juxtaposition between how things were covered. And I used several throwback clips. Good. So we're going to jump right into a throwback clip from show four on how Malcolm X felt about white liberals. White liberals who have posed as our friends. White liberals who have been eager to point out what the white man in the South has been doing to us while they themselves here in the North are doing the same thing. They have been making a a great fuss over the South only to blind us to what is happening here in the North. And now that the eyes of America's 20 million blacks you can easily see that this white fox here in the north is even more cruel and vicious than the white wolf in the south. The southern wolves always let you know where you stand. But these northern foxes pose as white liberals. They pose as your friend, pose as your benefactor, pose as your employer. They pose as your landlord. They pose as the neighborhood merchant. They pose as your lawyer trying to help you. They infiltrate all your organizations. And in this manner, by joining you, they strangle your militant efforts toward freedom, toward justice, and toward equality. They use integration for infiltration. So it was precisely this clip, this speech, which, of course, we've referred mm-hmm. to several times in uh, in the whole series, that I was thinking of when when this whole thing went down, I'm like, oh my god, he actually showed everybody what Malcolm X was talking about. 
In fact, he was probably I, 30 when Malcolm X said it. Yeah, and I feel so vindicated because I've been trying to prove this point of how the Democrats, uh, a.k.a. the liberals, feel towards black people. It's like, you know, they have to treat us like children and they know best for us. And now, he just it, doesn't it, it, know. It, 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 now, let me just qualify mm-hmm. something. When, okay. you, when you say Democrats, do you, I don't think you mean everybody who votes Democrat. No, no, no. We, when, when we talk about Democrat, Republican, left, right, we're talking about the establishment okay. and the political structures yes. uh, that are set up. Uh, so I want to make that clear. But with what he said, it's amazing because we've often referred to on this show at, to, at refer to Trump as the Wolf King, right? Yes. Uh, unknowingly, when I heard this clip again, I'm like, holy shit. We uh, we um we call Trump the Wolf King, and we they refer to Republicans as the wolves, and they refer to the Democrats as the fox. And this is the whole argument in a nutshell. Oh well, one's more one one is worse than the other, right? That's the whole argument. Well, yeah. you know, uh, Joe Biden is not as bad as Trump, <laughs> and it's the thing is like at least you know what you're getting with a uh, Donald Trump. Right. And that's the that's the counter argument. Ah, like, yeah, like if that. I'm going to choose between one or the other, at least I know what I'm getting before it was like, you know, the, the Democrat political structure are like foxes. Like, right. They just kind of sneak around and steal your eggs out of your chicken coop. <laughs> um, whereas a wolf, he just come up and eat you. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> and, and they'll tell right. you about it, too. He's like, I'm on my way to eat you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so I'm going down the spectrum here. So I'm going to start on what I call the far left, but we know there's a far, far left. But I'm starting with Sagar and Crystal because they're the, I guess you would, as a, I'm sure there's a better word, the anti-establishment, but they're not the establishment Democrats, right? Absolutely. Uh, another, yeah. another anti-establishment Democrat I like to listen to is Jimmy Dore. Yeah. So I want to hear his take on this. If so, if if you don't vote for for Joe Biden, you ain't black. This is the Joe Biden who uh, I recently humili- humiliated a black woman on television as my <laughs> who thought she was going to be my vice president pick. And now I'm vetting a woman to be my vice president who threw a black teenager in jail for life for a murder that there's no evidence he committed. Plus, I wrote the crime bill. Support me or you ain't black. I'm sure the Dems will spin this in a positive way. You know, for every reasonable human being vote we'll lose on the coast, we'll pick up five <laughs> KKK members in Pennsylvania. And you can repeat that in Ohio and Michigan, Wisconsin. Did Corn Pop endorse that answer, by the way? If you don't vote, if you don't vote for me, you're, you ain't black. You know, one of the most prominent black celebrities in America is a Trumper. This is uh, Jimmy Dore is good. It's very good. I, I like Jimmy because he keeps it. He keeps it honest. I mean, he, he he doesn't take the party line and push it. He said a lot in that clip, and I want to lay out just an idea here. Joe Biden is trying to thread a needle, <laughs> and what I mean by that is he's trying to maintain the black vote while. Speaking a certain way to court some of the more uh, conservative 
Democrats to come over here for come over to him that may have voted to, for Trump in uh, twenty sixteen, and he does that and by think, by saying you ain't is 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 that how he does I, that? Well, that well the whole eighteen minutes when he talked to Charlemagne, we're going to get into some clips from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. The tone he used was a thought. You're saying authoritative. So like, yeah, you know. Uh, well, yeah, you know I, I, like, I saw it. There was a lot of "Come on, man!" A lot of that. Right. Going it was on. very, it was very chastising, but then patronizing at the same time. It was a, it's one of the strangest things I've ever seen because it was like I have to make it seem like I'm pushing back against these black folks. So oh, you know, oh, the, yes, <laughs> yeah, that was. That so element. the white folks in the Rust Belt won't think I'm going soft, but at the same time, I'll use "Come on, man!" and all this job talk. You know, what I'm saying. Give me some five on the black hand side talk um, <laughs> to make to make them seem like I'm with them. And uh, yeah, it's it's not quite right on, but it's it's up there. He he, he tried it, but it just it just fell. Yeah. And Jimmy Dore in his last statement, he said one of the most influential black people uh, out there are Republican. I don't think that's a true statement, but a Trump a Trump support, I think, is what he said. Yeah, and. I think who he was referring to is uh, Kanye West. I told him, I said, look, my my father's a Black Panther. My mother got arrested for the sit-ins at age six. They were fighting for us to have the right to our opinion, not the right to vote for whoever the white liberals said black people are supposed to vote for. You get what I'm saying? Then, then James Corden went in and said... Well, this president, you're Christian, and this president, I don't see anything Christian about him. I say, okay, so last year, y'all tried to tell me who I'm supposed to vote for because I'm black. Now, this year, white liberals trying to tell me who I'm supposed to vote for because I'm Christian. That would be like, I live in Calabasas, so everyone in my car has got to be a convertible, huh? It's just all based on y'all vision of what I'm supposed to do. And I understand, like, a lot of people, it's not a matter of... Whether you like it or who like it, we are in a country where we allowed to like whatever we like. Has Kanye actually uh, weighed in on this? I haven't seen anything from him. No, he hasn't weighed in on this. And, but I think he's sitting back and smiling like I told you so if I was him. Because we cover this and this is another throwback clip from thir- uh, show 13 where he's been vindicated. Yeah. Right. I mean, Joe Biden basically says... If you don't vote for him, and he didn't even say vote for him. And that's one of the things I want to be clear on what he said. Yeah, this is a good point. This is a a very good point because this was immediately twisted and turned. And actually, the way it was twisted and turned, it lost some of its original meaning, which was worse than the twisty-turny bit. And I'm glad you recognize that because what he said was, if you can't recognize the difference between me and Donald Trump. Nothing about voting. No. Nope. But if you're just not smart enough, th- I mean, that's the connotation of what he's saying. If you're yep. not smart enough to figure out that I'm better for you than Donald Trump, you're not black. Not even about voting, but it it it, it has implications on voting. That's why it was kind of yeah um, twisted that way. Of course, twisted that way. But and I think and I just, and I and I immediately because I saw it. And I, I pay attention to words, and I immediately thought, oh, mm-hmm. look at that. Immediately, they're, they're twisting it. It's not exactly what he said. And what he said was worse, I think, than just the voting part. You're so right. 
because they want to make it binary. And that's going to play later into the fact everything is binary. It's one or the other. There's no, there's no shade of gray. But we'll get to that later on in the show. So I started grabbing clips of the fallout as soon as it happened, seeing who they're going to throw up here. <laughs> did you, did you actually uh, uh, send your kids off to boarding school and you called in sick to work and uh, you told your wife <laughs> you were having an affair? Is that what took place here? Because uh, you did some work, man. This is great. I said, See, I was well, sending you clips. I'm like, maybe this. How about this? Try this. Right. It was. I took this as a labor of love because this vindicates not only me, but everybody that's free thinking. You know, this is a term that uh, Kanye West even brought up. You know what I'm saying? Free thinking black man or black woman. This is how we're treated. So I was like, yeah, I have to do this show. It can't wait another week. It has to happen. And that's why I told you I, we can't go Saturday. Right. Because right, I had to hear the whole news cycle between friday and monday to see how this thing played out right well on msnbc andrea mitchell had a segment on biden is in no position to determine who was black enough or not that was quite an exchange uh patrick biden's senior advisor simone sanders tweeted that this these his comments were in jest but the trump campaign has seized on it i wanted to give you a chance your take you know, I, I, I respect Simone, but uh, those are not the kind of comments that one should uh, make even uh, in jest. Uh, I uh, have to, had the privilege of working directly with the vice president. Actually, he swore me in uh, as U.S. ambassador to uh, South Africa. I know that he's a conscious, uh, thoughtful uh, person on these issues. And he should be able to point to an astounding record as vice president, which saw uh, black unemployment reach its lowest levels uh, and uh, black wealth reach its highest levels uh, under the Obama administration. However, Vice President Biden is in no position to determine who uh, is black enough uh, or not. Uh, I understand that the, the interview was testy and there was a little bit of a generational challenge there. Uh, but I know uh, that when it comes time to really litigate the campaign, uh, there's a thoughtfulness that Joe Biden will demonstrate uh, that was not demonstrated in that interview. <laughs> thoughtfulness. A thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. <laughs> <laughs> a generational. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> And, and well, may I point out uh, how mm-hmm. interesting it is that uh, uh, two dudes with a couple of mics and a, and a podcast uh, sound a lot better than the multi-million dollar Andrea Mitchell show. Two guys with a <laughs> microphone and like how many every year's experience you have at being an expert at doing this. Uh, I mean, don't, don't, but, don't uh, short, Andrea, short. Andrea Mitchell's been around a long time, too. I'm just That's saying. That's true. I'm just saying. But anyway. have you ever heard of this guy, uh, Patrick Gaspard? No, no, I haven't. Actually, I was going to look. Oh, let up. me let me share a little bio with you. He, as he stated, he was the former U.S. ambassador to South Africa during the Obama administration, and also president of George Soros's oh. Open Society Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I mean, even when it comes to a Joe Biden slur, Soros is always lurking around the corner. Maybe. And this aired on the 22nd, so that's Friday. So he was out there early uh, early on. I working guess, it, working it. Working it and <laughs> making sure people know that Joe Biden will show thoughtfulness. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Those two words don't even, don't even match in no way, shape, or form. 
But yeah. I just felt that weird. But I guess they're letting him know where the money's still behind uh, Joe Biden. Well, he's also so, uh, he also was the political director for the SEIU, uh, the service mm. union. So you know that's that's big, big uh, donation money and very. So this is a powerful guy. I think that's why they rolled him out to let people know that the money is, is, is still is behind, behind Joe him. Biden. I am in agreement with that. But what he said was a bunch of BS talking about how <laughs> black people were better off after Obama because we had a throwback clip to to uh, refute that from show 23 from Talib Tavis Smiley. This week, while we were traveling in Iowa, we spoke with Mr. Smiley about what's changed over the last decade. As Martin Luther King Day approaches on Monday, we started by talking about what areas, if any, are better for black America now than they were before Barack Obama took office. I'm sad to report that in every single leading economic category, black America has lost ground over the last decade. In every major economic category, we've lost ground. So this book comes out, as you said, in 2006. So clearly, this book was out before Obama shows up to win in 2008. So the book was never about Barack Obama then. This 10-year update is not about him now. But it is true that uh, over these last 10 years, most of that on his watch, black America has lost ground in the major economic indicator categories and then we got rid of tavis smiley <laughs> i'm still looking for tavis to this day <laughs> that was that but was the ta- death ta- tavis watch is still active well but we laugh about it but it's kind of sad because i feel that you know they took him down for some other i think uh bullcrap charge and when i say take him down they basically put him out of business or out of his public well, broadcast well, business well by the logic of joe biden he's not black anymore <laughs> so so he's you're not you, we, you can't comment yeah, <laughs> no we have show. to use this we have to use this as a lens to look through to see when you don't tell the party line you're no longer black so you're no longer useful uh we got plenty of white men <laughs> to do the talking uh we don't need you you're not special anymore so that, i think that's why tavis uh disappeared but you can hear how he clearly uh pointed out what patrick was talking about was complete bs oh uh, absolutely so we went from the anti-establishment or or non-establishment left to the corporate democrats over msnbc now we get to go to fox news and they get to chime in what has uh but joe biden done in the last 20 years and the answer is crickets think about the 1994 crime bill that disproportionately targeted african-american males what did president trump do he came back with the first step act and said we are going to have fairness and sentencing we're going to help people who are coming out not return that is a a form of compassion that could be measured by the lives changed by the families impacted and so for joe biden to say to 1.3 million african-americans who voted for President Trump, that they ain't black, is arrogant, condescending, and it frankly speaks to the families of the 1.3 million African Americans as well. I am just amazed that the last decade, Democrats have had an entitlement mentality that they are entitled to the black vote and president trump said and he said it well there's nothing to lose by giving the republican party a second look uh, if you don't mind mo I, I just need a little inside baseball when this mm-hmm. when this went down 
what, I mean, who was blowing up your phone? Was it just friends? Was it your family? Was it your mom? Was it your wife? I'm just curious. And what, what was the main, just what was that, that moment like? What, what was incoming? It was mostly people that listen to this show, friends that we can talk about, uh, not voting, uh, or not supporting the Democrats. And no, those, 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 those were two main people. Family, not really. I didn't have too much family hit me. But what I said was, when I heard this, I said, thank the most high that he kept Joe Biden on that phone for <laughs> that extra minute <laughs> to where he could let that off because that was it. This changed. It changes this everything. Is the, you have nothing to lose yeah. moment of the 2020 election. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> this right here is it. I mean, you can, he'll, um, he'll never live it down. This is going to be going to be played back over and over and over and over again. And it's already being played back because Donald Trump has created an ad with it. Mass incarceration has put hundreds of thousands behind bars for minor offenses. Joe Biden wrote those laws. Every major crime bill that's come out of this Congress has had the name Joe Biden on that bill. We do everything but hang people for jaywalking in this bill. Joe Biden's policies destroyed millions of black lives. Joe Biden may not remember, but we do. <laughs> you, wow. Did you catch that? At the end? Yeah, that, Joe, that was that was low. Very low. He may low. not remember, but we do. Man, well that. <laughs> you know, I, and, but like you said, Trump, he's not bashful about it. This is exactly mm-hmm. what he does. And, and, and he's going to beat him over the head with it every step of the way. Yeah. I've gotten over the elder abuse feeling bad for him now. I, I can't feel bad anymore. This is, uh, this is just, you know, I, I just look at it as the reality show that it is. That, that's true. But Tim Scott. He he said something in that the uh, previous clip before the Trump ad. Yeah, they're targeting to hit twelve percent turnout for the Republicans. Holy holy crap! No that that would that would destroy the, that would destroy the Democrat vote. That's the difference. Remember, because we went from let's just go back a little bit. Two thousand twelve, the Democrats had sixty seven percent. Then it dropped to 59% in 2016. And that was already which, on the uh, edge on the edge of the danger zone. <clears throat> right, that's that's losing. If you get under 60, it's lose it's pretty much a loss for the Democrats. And with the Republicans trying to bump their turnout up from 8% to 12%, that's half of where you, you know, you're trying to flip that negative vote into actually positive votes for Donald Trump. So they have a strategy here. And this only help the strategy because a lot of the people that set out and I'm not going to say a lot, but a portion of the people that set out and said, I'm not going to do anything in 2016 may be activated for the Republicans by this statement. It's important. Uh, I believe <clears throat> that we, um, that we recognize how this is being uh, justified by, some white people I've spoken to mm-hmm. uh, who are who are going to vote for Joe Biden. Uh, and at this point, uh, I think it's it, for for a lot of people, it's the 
the less of two evils for them, and that is for all the programming they've received and their decisions is Joe Biden is the lesser of two evils. And they justify it by saying, yeah, he's really just an old guy, old ways, and uh, he's a dick and a douche, but he's better than Trump. I mean, that's 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 the level of uh, despair to me is when I hear that, that uh, the, the Democrat voters are at. White and ones. where they're picking and where they're picking that up is from the black Democratic talking heads are coming out and saying, well, you know what, Joe, I've heard I've read these tweets saying, well, you know, Joe, he just said what black people have been saying. So black people have had this mentality of the ones that are pro Democrat. I mean, and they sold out to the Democrats of if you don't support the Democrats, you're not black. And that has been a real sentiment this whole time. But when you start using logic and reason, you start comparing the actual records and whether they're both old, they're both white, they both say things that may not land the right way. Yeah. And then you start getting the legislation. Trump doesn't have the negative legislation baggage that Biden does. So that's a losing argument. So then it comes down to feeling. It's like, well, he makes me feel bad. What's really, <laughs> you know, what's really, yeah, what's really destructive, though, <clears throat> is as you just said, is when you have um, black spokespeople on television propagating this. It's, it's Joe. He's an old guy. Don't worry about it. It's all good. That's really destructive because that is given as a license uh, to, to white people to say. It's okay. This is—I mean, you can just repeat that. Here's what they—what he said. It's all good. That's destructive. That's what they get paid for. <laughs> and this this is what we talk about—the biscuits, the butter biscuits. Uh, yeah. This is what we're talking about. I'm just going to go through some tweets that I screenshotted. Um, DL Hughley, you mad? Biden said you ain't black. I'm mad Trump refused to hang the portrait of the first black president in the White House. <laughs> yeah. Get get the F uh get the F out of here. This is what he said. Uh and I'm moving on to a couple more tweets. Uh Simone Sanders, vice president, spent his career fighting alongside um alongside and for African American community. He won the party's nomination by earning the vote of every um uh, every vote and meeting people that have uh, they have are exactly what he intended to do this November, right? I mean, it's just Jay Johnson had the, one of the best ones. <laughs> just a thought. How about we listen to the entire Joe Biden interview with Charlemagne the God before we start roasting him? Well, a white man well, telling a black. <laughs> that's a good idea, Joe Johnson. J E H Johnson. I'd love to go no, this through is the Jay, interview. No, this is Jason Johnson. Oh, I'm this sorry. This is one of the guys. This, this is even better. Was saying that Ados was bot. It's even better. This this knucklehead. Yeah, he said a white man telling a black man who is and isn't black is inexcusable. But then he goes on to excuse it by saying, but yeah. what led to but. that change and why Biden was triggered matters as well. So this is this is what we're getting. It's man, it's this is what we're getting from the talking heads. And I have more <laughs> clips on that, but I just want to read those couple of tweets. But let's take Jason Johnson's uh advice and we're gonna we're gonna get into maybe a couple of clips from the actual interview. And this is Biden talking about the crime bill. 
You know, and you take a look at my record. People talk about the crime bill. Crime bill didn't increase mass incarceration. Other things increased mass incarceration. <laughs> and the reason why, if you go back and look. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, okay, I'm going to do what Joe's thinking. I'm, I'm going to do it with Joe's thought bubble. You know, and you take a look at my record. People talk about the crime bill. Crime bill didn't increase mass incarceration. Black people increased mass incarceration. Other things increased mass incarceration. And the reason why, if you go back and look, and I know you talk about it, you go back and take a look. That's why you had the vast majority of the black caucus at the time supporting the crime bill. Almost every major city black mayor supported the crime bill because blacks were getting killed overwhelmingly as well. Why so much resistance on admitting the crime bill and and other legislation you are a part of was damaging to the black community? Because we had Hillary on a few years ago uh, and Ms. Ms. Clinton said that the crime bill We made a lot of mistakes with that, and she wanted to atone for that by becoming the next president. Like She was wrong. What happened was it wasn't the crime bill. It was the drug legislation. It was the the institution of mandatory minimums, which I oppose. Mandatory minimums. I oppose the ban. I thought you you, uh, was a part of that in 84 as well, the Comprehensive Crime Control Act that established mandatory minimum sentences for drug offenses. Whoops. (laughs) Charlemagne brought receipts. (laughs) He was. But this whole crime bill, I think that's a weak argument compared to the uh, sentencing difference. If you really want to take Joe Biden down, that's the thing you want to go after. Hint, hint, wink, wink for anybody out there that wants to take him down. Um, That's that's the real uh, crown jewel that you can go after him with. And and in a nutshell, what that means is there are different sentences for powder cocaine versus rock mm-hmm. cocaine it's still cocaine but the elite powdery expensive form less jail time if any the rock cheap form key gets thrown away i came with details on how that how that was handled and how, what the impact was but what i want to do is now heard the tone that how he was talking yes <laughs> the, uh, that now but i want to juxtapose that to how Joe Biden talks to somebody he actually considers uh, worth his time and that is APAC. I've been speaking at your conference for a long time, hearing the passionate views of American Jews and friends of Israel, right, left, and center. I've been going to Israel for a long time as well, starting with my very first foreign trip as a senator, United States Senator. When I went to Israel, I met with Golda Meir, and sat in the same side of the desk as an assistant of hers named Yitzhak Rabin. I've worked with every Israeli leader since that date. And over that time, whether it's here with you in the United States or in Israel, there are a few things that have not changed and will not change. I will always call out anti-Semitism, whether it comes from the left, the right, or the center. I will always stand with and for a secure, democratic, Jewish state of Israel. And I will always tell you what I believe, whether I agree or disagree. And I will never boycott you. American Jews will always have a seat at my table because you've always had me at your table. And because you know as well as anyone that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. I'm glad you picked this particular example. Um, because mm-hmm. I know that this also uh, triggers thinking for many, and it goes as follows. Oh, 
here's the black man and he's not liking this that's happening with the Jews, which is a myth. I don't know. It's probably a, a topic for a whole different show. That is a coming topic. But reason why I picked this is listen to how he talks to them. Oh, all calm. I, I totally. And it's I, like, totally. I'll never turn my back. I'll always, you know, and he lays out those tangibles quite clear, you yep. know, what he'll do for them. And he didn't make a distinction between left, center, right. <laughs> he also didn't I'll, say, I'll, I'm, I'm going to do a study about this. <laughs> he right. said, I'm going to do and it. He, and he didn't say, if, uh, imagine, now imagine if he said, if you don't vote for me, if you can't tell the difference between me <laughs> and Donald Trump, you ain't Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> That that would have been phenomenal. We should actually do a version of that. We should we should do a version in like you know I don't know every every single one you can think of. He he definitely wouldn't do it for the you're saying the the was it the island Pacific uh the Asian and island Pacific um island uh Pacific Islanders and it, none of those. But when he comes to talk to us, he. Well, he sounds like a slave master. Let's just be one hundred with it. Let's just keep it. Let's just keep it. Just keep it one hundred. Um, do we so have an I example? To, do we have an example of a slave master to uh, compare well, I next have a, to Joe? I don't have an actual slave master, okay. but I have an heir of a slave master. Oh, okay. And this is this it. is from nineteen sixty eight, the Heritage of Slavery by Fannie Lou Hamer and uh, Lerone Bennett Jr., which he started. Uh, was a star of our last show on Abraham Lincoln. This is Massa Speaks. On the plantation outside Charleston, where his family has lived for eight generations since 1672, Norwood Hasty was asked if he thinks slavery was immoral. No, no, I don't. Because it, because uh, when a slave came from Africa, he couldn't speak the language. He was totally untrained to do any any job at all that would fit in with the civilization, someone had to take care of him. Someone had to take care of him 24 hours a day. And, and it's pretty hard to, to do that unless you owned a person. So I think slavery just had to be in those early days. <laughs> what exactly is this? Is this what kind of a documentary? What was this? It's called The Heritage, Heritage of Slavery, and he's actually an heir, the man speaking, it being interviewed is actually an heir of a South Carolina plantation. And that's uh, from 1968 this was recorded, you said? Yes, yes. Interesting. So, we're think- now you have to look at this through the, um, the, the thought of the Democratic Party being a plantation, which has been called that uh, by many people. It's called, you know, that's the thing, like, when people stop voting Democrats, like, oh, you left the Democratic plantation. Right, 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 right. That's the talking point. But I want you to just listen to this, the logic of this heir or of, of, of a, or a, the uh, inheritance, inheritor of a plantation and actually the, the slave mindset, I mean, the slave master mindset. So let's get into Master Speaks too. Is it possible that white people have something to do with the lack of ability for blacks to assimilate into this culture? Absolutely. Uh, the white man has certainly been prejudiced and to quite an extent unfair. 
but customs die awful hard. It takes takes a long time, and everyone knew years ago that the Negro would have to be given equality. But in the South, knowing Negroes as we think we do, we realize it would take time. It's been compared to to straightening teeth. It takes a slow, steady pressure. You can't do it with a hammer. And, and white people's attitudes will change in time. I'm a lot more liberal than I was five years ago, and I know I'll be a lot more liberal five years from now, and I think almost everyone else is in that category. Wow. Wow. He's the, <laughs> he's the missing link. There it is. It's, he's the guy. He, he, he's the liberal. <laughs> you know, I'm a lot more liberal than I was, you know, and I'll be more liberal than I was five years from now. Yeah, woo-hoo. But if you listen to what he says, he says, like, the old habits die hard is basically what he's saying. And that kind of lends to what you were saying about how white Democrats are trying to justify Joe Biden. Old habits die hard. You know, he's an old white guy. Well, see, guy well, hold on. Ser- seriously, though. Seriously, for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Joe Biden is, is he 70? Let's see. 77. 77. So yeah. he's, he's 22 years older than I am. Mm-hmm. This was recorded when I was four, so yeah. he was seriously he was twenty six. He was a a man uh, past his formative years. A lot of his ways were set in stone at this time. Just for just for frame of reference, you know. Yeah, and and that's why I'm playing this clip, these clips, to let you know how people can say they're liberal, but they <laughs> their mindset is. Well, more liberal than I was. I mean, that's a hell of a standard to have. No kidding. But let's get into the final uh, clip, Master Speaks 3. What has tended to make you more liberal? Well, realization that the Negro is a human being like anyone else. Mr. Hasty, what did you think we were before you began to think of us as human beings? Well, in a a way, we thought of you almost as a very superior pet. Something, or rather someone, we had to take care of. Because we had to do so much of their thinking for them. We had to do almost everything uh, for them, except living their own own lives. Anything outside, we, we had to do for them. Jeez. <laughs> now boil that back in of thinking for you. If you can't do the thinking or you can't think enough to see the difference between me and Donald Trump, you're not black. I feel you. This is I'm telling you how this landed. Is it, I was like, he's straight up you no know, uh a slave master talking to these people. Uh it, it, it I found it very disgusting. I mean but I was happy that it was said. It's one of these weird things is like when somebody finally tells you the truth, you've been wanting to hear it. But then when you finally hear it, it kind of makes you sick. But then you're like, whew, I'm would, finally glad they acknowledged it. Yeah, it would be like if um, if they if the, if the Trump came out and said, guess what? We never landed on the moon. Be like, yes, I was right. I knew it. But holy <laughs> crap. Really? Really? Oh, my God. How disappointing. Except then different. But yeah, it's 
it, it, it's a it's a pleasant surprise because it's hopefully going to change open people's eyes to what's really happening. And by the way, what we're seeing to, what we're seeing today in the internet era of um, every, every move you make, certainly if you're a public person or a politician, every strand of hair is overanalyzed, is shot from 15 directions, is memefied, is uh, put on YouTube, uh, is, is made into parody. Turns out we can see everybody's flaws and they get mm-hmm. amplified in today's social media. And guess what? Everybody's flawed. That would be the ultimate realization if we get to it, that everyone's going to say, wait a minute everybody's messed up that would be great but for right now baby steps that's true but what this points out more than anything is the hypocrisy of people that participate in cancel culture they're not willing to cancel somebody if anybody else would have said this because they haven't quite Um, realized yet that everybody's flawed yes it's only the people they dislike yeah exactly we're we're we're, we got to get there but we're not there yet even if Joe Biden would have said this in the primaries, he would have been canceled. They were like, oh, we have other options, right? I right. mean, we can go yeah. this way or that way. But now that it's baked in, he's the, he's the guy. They're like, well, we got to salvage him. Got to live with it. Yeah. We got to salvage him. So we're going to get into now. That was just the coverage of how it landed, how people received it, that kind of thing. Now I want to get into talking about this crime bill and other crime legislation that Joe Biden uh, has participated in since actually 1976. But this clip is from 1993. We must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, It doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become uh, uh, social, uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask. What made them do this? They must be taken off the street. Wow. (laughs) Different times back then. So so what people got to understand is Joe Biden has really been talking like this since 1976. And I had uh, audio from um, the Jefferson Jackson dinner in Boise, Idaho in 1976. And some of the quotes from that is, why should we liberals why should we Democrats apologize for saying a criminal justice system has um, implicit in, uh, in its idea that a crime should be met with uh, a punishment? What is wrong with that? I don't know. I don't have any idea, he said. If you commit a crime, you should be accountable for it. And, and you don't have to be some racist, so-called redneck to say that. That's 1976. Mm. And then fast forward. This is 1993. Now, I want to ask you. Did what he say ring a bell with you and or sound familiar to you in any, any kind of way? Um, 
It's not fair because I know what's coming next. So. <laughs> Wait, go, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I'll cut. Well, for, at, the, for, at, the, at the very end there, it was basically mm-hmm. it was the super predators. We got to make them heal. We got to bring them to we heal. Got to bring them to heal. Exactly. And, and for people not familiar with that, let's play it in comparison to what he said in 93. The fourth challenge is to take back our streets from crime, gangs, and drugs. And we have actually been making progress on this count as a nation because of what local law enforcement officials are doing, because of what citizens and neighborhood patrols are doing. We're making some progress. Much of it is related to the initiative called community policing because we have finally gotten more police officers on the street. That was one of the goals that the president had when he pushed the crime bill that was passed in 1994. He promised 100,000 police. We're moving in that direction, but we can see it already makes a difference because if we have more police interacting with people, having them on the streets, we can prevent crimes. We can prevent petty crimes from turning into something worse. But we also have to have an organized effort against gangs, just as in a previous generation we had an organized effort against the mob. We need to take these people on. They are often connected to big drug cartels. They are not just gangs of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super predators. No conscience, no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way, but first we have to bring them to heel. And the president has asked the FBI to launch a very concerted effort against gangs everywhere. Man, said the said the leader of one of the world's largest crime syndicates. So true, <laughs> and, and all of these talking points really came out of uh, the Rockefeller laws. Democrats, let me just give people a little history. Democrats used to be for rehabilitation, and the nineteen seventies they did this pivot because the Republicans were, you know. Uh, outflanking them of being tough on crime to where it doesn't matter about rehabilitation anymore. And Biden even said that at the dinner, the Jefferson dinner. Also, he says, um, liberal, we liberals stand up and we say we need to, what we need to do is rehabilitate. And yet we go to any university in the United States of America. And we find among the academics, a recognition of the fact that we do not know how to rehabilitate. That's when the pivot started. Mm. And they were like, like we're gonna out crime or out uh, out uh, criminal justice the the Republicans, and this goes to show you they would do anything to win election. It's not about <laughs> what's best for their uh, and guess who they voters and guess who they used for it. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I um this came up in the uh, 2020 primary, a Democrat primary, and uh, actually Kamala Harris had called on this. So uh, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta 11 Alive, that's the local news, did some fact checking of Joe Biden. First up, Joe Biden. Since 2007, I, for example, tried to get the crack powder cocaine totally disparity, totally eliminated. This claim is true, but misleading. Biden's talking here about a disparity in the law where crack cocaine users get much higher jail times and legal punishment than people using powdered cocaine. Legally, five grams of crack cocaine was equal to 500 grams of powdered cocaine. Now, in 2007, Biden did call to reduce the penalties on crack cocaine offenders, but that leaves out the fact that he also helped 
helped design the higher punishments in the first place. Biden championed a 1986 law, the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, that set those mandatory minimums in the first place. So yeah, he called for its removal, but that was a change of position for him. And it's worth pointing out that one of his sons was unceremoniously ejected from the Navy for cocaine abuse, among other things. Oh, we're getting Hunter. Oh, we're going to get Mr. Hunter. Uh, but I want to also point out that he lied, flat out lied to Charlemagne because he said, I wasn't for the mandatory minimums. Uh, oh, yeah, you no, know, that kind of, He didn't remember. Well, that's a that's a lovely, uh, that's a lovely <laughs> position to be in. It's yeah, like, I don't, I don't remember, remember it. Uh, well, I found this um, paper written by Michael Coyle. Um, it was called Race and Class Penalties and the Crack Cocaine uh, Sentencing. And this is from the section Drug Quantities and Crack Cocaine Penalties. Race and Class Penalties in Crack Cocaine Sentencing by Michael Coyle. Drug Quantities and Crack Cocaine Penalties. The federal sentencing laws Congress passed in 1986 and 1988 were designed in part with the purpose of hindering the crack cocaine drug trade. The intent of Congress was to impose a minimum 10-year prison sentence on a major trafficker, for example, a manufacturer or head of an organization distributing large drug quantities, and a minimum 5-year sentence on a serious trafficker, for example, a manager of a substantial drug trade business. As such, the laws were constructed to respond to the quantity of drugs involved in the offense. However, the weight numbers attached to the sentences via the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 fail to capture the different roles associated with the crack trade. As research from the commission has shown, the five grams of crack set by Congress as the trigger for a five-year mandatory sentence is not a quantity associated with mid-level, much less serious traffickers. I was always surprised that uh, it was presented as as that being the problem because it came up so many times and it it was years before they finally adjust I think it was Obama I do think it happened under him that that mm-hmm. finally got readjusted but it wasn't it, that's a lie it was obvious what this was about it was about getting street level drug yeah. uh, drug offenders locked up yeah and I have a chart here. Um, of the cheap stuff, man. They got to be buying our, our our high level, man. Not the rock. Get out of here. <laughs> this is the source of this table uh, or chart is the U.S. Sentencing Commission from two thousand uh, from two thousand, and it says sixty six percent of the arrests were uh, street level drug dealers. Yeah. Uh, when you get to the importers, it's point five percent organized uh, organized leaders and you know those kind of people like the uh, the kingpins and those things is like less than six percent sure so when you listen to her super pre- uh, Hillary super predator clip it it was not designed <laughs> to take down um to take down you know uh yeah, high level no, offenders no, no, of or, course not. or her or her colleagues. <laughs> uh, exactly. It was exactly. It was designed for very different levels. Exactly. Not for the boatloads. Just the. And I also would like to thank. Uh, I would like to thank Dame Jennifer for reading, doing the reading on this uh, paper here. Um, so let's just get into um, the second part of this uh, drug quantities and, and crack cocaine penalties. The median crack cocaine street level dealer comprising two-thirds of federal crack defendants charged in federal court was arrested holding 52 grams of the substance, enough to trigger a 10-year mandatory sentence. 
for powder cocaine, the median street-level dealer is charged with holding 340 grams of drugs, not enough even to trigger the five-year sentence. The results of these erroneous calculations have been dual. First, they've resulted in extremely severe prison terms for low-level crack offenders who form two out of every three crack offenders. Second, with mandatory minimum sentences focusing solely on quantities, offenders with different levels of culpability are often lumped together. As the commission's May 2002 report to Congress stipulates, contrary to the intent of Congress, the five- and ten-year minimum penalties most often apply to low-level crack cocaine traffickers rather than to serious or major traffickers. Exactly. Exactly. That's Dame Jennifer, huh? Yes. She could, she, so could, another, she, could, she could read the phone book, and I'd be pretty pleased. Man, she's, she's, she's killer. <laughs> she does. She's good, yeah. Uh, they had another table in this, in this paper um, showing the uh, cocaine sentences for quantities less than 25 grams, uh, and it shows the average sentence, sentence in months, and this, the source of this table is the United States Department of Justice, uh, 2002. Um, the average sentence for powder cocaine, 14 months. The average sentence for crack cocaine, 65 months. <laughs> and that's under 25 grams? Yes. Under 20, under? Under, less than 25 grams, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So if you had 25 grams on you, you got an average of 65 months. And so yeah, it's like five and, five and a half months, I mean, five and a half years, excuse me. And I don't know if, if, if you're going to include this, but... What cannot be ignored is the uh, commercial prison system that was being assembled at the very same time, uh, and that may be for a different show. We've touched on it many times. It, that's a whole different can of worms. If I open that, we would have had a 10-hour show. Uh, <laughs> so, so yes. as, as you brought up, uh, Obama and Biden tried to redeem themselves by uh, closing the powder cocaine sentencing gap. President Obama signed a new law at the White House today that will close the long-disputed gap in federal sentencing for crap versus powder cocaine. Since 1986, defendants caught with 500 grams of powder cocaine have gotten the same punishment, five years in prison, as defendants convicted of possessing only five grams of crack cocaine. That's a sentencing ratio of 100 to 1. The new law reduces that dramatic disparity, cutting the ratio to about 18 to 1. And for the first First time in 40 years, Congress is rolling back a mandatory minimum sentence already on the books. The law won rare bipartisan support. What? It was only it, they reduced it to 18 to one. What? That, that's your that's your black president. Thank you, Obama. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ah, thanks, Obama. How does that fly? Shut up. Shut up, man. What's your problem? It's happy. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Ah. Thanks, Obama. That's right. 18 to 1. And they want to hang their hat on that. And this was bipartisan. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you're not doing anything that the Republicans are not doing. They went, out, they, went out for, they went out for drinks after the vote, Mo. Telling you. Why is there a gap? Why wasn't the gap actually flipped and say powder cocaine is 100 times uh, to crack? It doesn't make any sense. And and the CBC signed off on this in, in 94. Uh, they went begging. Did they not have a brain? Did they not have a brain to say, yeah, we're going to charge crack uh, dealers at five, 100 times the, the rate 
I mean, or, or the amount of weight they have a hundred times the rate as a cocaine dealer. Hello. <laughs> it comes in this cocaine. This cook this crack. Uh, <laughs> it just, uh, it irks me every time. 18 to one. And it's still on the books. This is still on the books. It's, now, was there ever any, any reason given for it that it just didn't become a one to one? I mean, I, I, I have to look at this now. This is annoying. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's some excuse. I want to know what it is. What's the excuse? I, I, was it random or did they negotiate? Barack went in and said, come on, man, give me one to one. Like, no, 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 no. We like the 65. Oh, give, give me give me a five. No. And then he wound up at 18. What happened? How would that impact your 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 uh, prison sales? Would that leave your vacancies? Would that leave vacancies? Oh man, that we are going to have to do that show, Mo. We definitely got to do it. But I mean, uh, so Joe Biden felt guilty about. Uh, the I'm, I'm sorry to, to I'm, I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt. Go, go ahead, go ahead. No, you nail it. That was probably the number. They probably had the spreadsheet and went, okay, look, we can cut in the prison <laughs> emission system. Uh, but here's what we need, the minimum amount. Here's the minimum amount of years we got. What can we do? Well, let me work on the spreadsheet. Well, I can bring it down to about 18, and you know, and then, well, we won't get our bonuses, but we'll still have a pretty good uh, pipeline into the prisons. That is probably exactly how it, in a nutshell, was determined. And I'm going to take a little uh, detour here on something that I didn't clip, but it was discussed. And this is the decriminalization of marijuana versus the legalization of marijuana. And I think this argument has the same uh, discussion going on with it because marijuana is the gateway drug, but not in the way you think of it. It's the gateway drug to allow police to harass people because they can say, hey, I smell marijuana. Let me search your car where if you make it legal, they can't legally search your car, which a lot of arrests actually are triggered by the sniffing sniff, sniff. or smelling. Of, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, so even I, if I digress if a, on that one, if a police dog, if a police dog acts as if it is uh, identified um, drugs in your vehicle mm-hmm. by sniffing, that is uh, right there. Uh, reasonable probable suspicion, cause. probable cause. Yeah. And, yeah because yeah. It's, it's a police officer. It's a law enforcement officer. And it doesn't even have to be, they don't, they don't actually have to smell it. All they have to say is, I, I bark. They just bark. It, not talking about the cops themselves to say, I, I <laughs> so smell. was I. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. And lots, no, lots no, of friends no, who are cops. What I'm going to say like this is they need to point out the dirty ones because they, they make everybody else bad. It's a, it's bad. a shit. Yeah. It's a crappy trick. It's a, absolutely right. I smell weed, and you're saying, then there we go. But that's why the decriminalization and legalization, I think that's why that argument wow, is what being a, had. what a great point. I had not considered that. <laughs> it's hap- it happened, you know, I went to college for three months in uh, in, uh-huh. in West Virginia, and I got a knock on my door. Someone wanted to come in, and the guy is like, a, I don't know if he was a part-time cop or something, weird, weird dude, whatever his problem was. And he said, I smell marijuana. I need to come and say, well, you go get a warrant. And he said, I can get that. He didn't. But, I mean, it was scary. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Because they can totally do that. And one of the high-profile stories going on now hinges on that. But we'll, we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to visit Joe Biden visiting Al Sharpton at the National Action Network, apologizing for his big mistake. I haven't always been right. I know we haven't always gotten things right. 
but I've always tried. Rev, it was your help back in 2010 that Barack and I finally reduced the disparity in sentencing, which we've been fighting to eliminate, <laughs> and crack cocaine versus powder cocaine. It was a big mistake when it was made. We thought we were told by the experts that crack, you never go back. It was somehow fundamentally different. It's not different. But it's trapped an entire generation. Oh, man. What it's a science. Li- what? <laughs> That's science. <laughs> what a liar, though. What a liar. No, we know, I didn't know it was 1 to 18. He didn't, didn't add that. And it took two years for him to get that through because that happened in 2010. What? And it- now, to be fair, uh, to uh, be fair, neither yes. the president or the vice president make or change the laws. That still had to go through the process. Did he have his pen in his phone? Well, <laughs> yeah, he did. He did have his pen in his phone. It was it was going to happen just, no matter I'm, what. He he could have made it one to one. Yeah, I hear you. And he had the 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 legislation makeup. To yeah, he, get anything. He passed. had the House and the Senate. You're absolutely right. right. Yep. So why'd you wait to 2010 to address this and need bipartisan support? You want the answer? I'm just saying. You want the answer? Not, well, we are. <laughs> oh. Please. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll get to that another time. Yeah. Well, um, well, you brought up Hunter Biden. And since we're talking about crack pipes and crack, <laughs> we might as well get into Hunter Biden ousted from the Navy. Vice President Joe Biden's son is out of the Navy. Sources tell AP that Hunter Biden was discharged earlier this year after testing positive for cocaine. The 44-year-old spent barely a year as a part-time public affairs officer in the Navy Reserve. In a statement released by his attorney, Biden said he respected the Navy's decision. The youngest Biden son said, I deeply regret and am embarrassed that my actions led to my administrative discharge. The vice president's office had no comment. The Navy has not given a reason for Biden's discharge, and the terms of his separation from the military are unclear. Members of the military discharged for failing drug tests typically don't receive an honorable discharge. Matt Friedman, Associated Press. <laughs> honorable discharge. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is what we talk about when we say white privilege. This yeah. this is what, and it's not about skin color. What I mean by that is it's the he gets caught smoking crack, <laughs> kicked out of the navy, but gets a uh, honorable discharge. Yeah. And then we have this page six story where um he begins to date his brother's uh <laughs> widow yeah, after that. spending a week buying crack from a homeless encampment in L.A. Uh. <laughs> They found a. Let me see. Let me read the read the story here, just so we I get it straight. It said Hunter took a rental car to Arizona, where Hertz workers called the cops after finding a crack pipe and a baggie containing white powdery substance, along with the Secret Service business card, Hunter's <laughs> driver license, and a badge from the bureau, uh, bureau's time as Delaware Attorney General aside. But then they they uh couldn't charge him with anything because they didn't have enough evidence that crack pipe was his. Uh-huh. How you like that? Uh-huh. <laughs> what in the Jerry Springer is going on with the Bidens? Sounds to me like a, a perfect candidate for a hedge fund about a billion and a half dollars from China and maybe a board seat on some <laughs> company in Ukraine. I think that is, that's the kind of material. That's the, the kind of quality man he is. It's a may, like I said, Audible discharge, not caught, caught with a crack pipe, wasn't arrested because they couldn't prove it was his crack pipe. I, I wish we had that kind of uh, leniency. 
going on. But <laughs> yeah. um, Sam Setter, uh, he's a popular uh, political pundit. Uh, he he's sometimes a frequent guest. Uh, I mean, well, he is a frequent guest on MSNBC. He was on Chris Hayes, and he called an interesting um, point that wasn't highlighted as much by Joe Biden in the uh, Breakfast Club interview. Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The war, I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. Uh, you know, what I was also struck was by Charlemagne's uh, uh, follow-up, which is I, I want something material yeah. to bring back to my community. And Joe Biden had no answer for that. I mean, he said, you know, I've, I've authorized the, the Voting Rights Act. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Every single senator in 2006 or seven, I mean, except for maybe four, and I'm, so I'm including the vast majority of Republicans, also reauthorized the Voting Rights Act. That's not a terribly, that should be a baseline, uh, never mind for a Democratic senator, any senator for that matter. And so uh, the fact that he couldn't respond with, well, I'm glad, you, you know, you, I, I know you want stuff for your community, and here's some of the, the ideas that I have to bring you some material benefits. So, I mean, I agree with Zerlina. I think we should have a um, a, a vice president, a, a, a woman of color. But I would also like to see that vice president, woman of color, offer and bring to the ticket some plans and some proactive measures to bring material benefit to people. I mean, I think that's hugely important. You know, I caught that too when uh, mm-hmm. when I saw the interview. And, and what I immediately thought was, what a missed opportunity. I think Joe Biden could have actually sealed up uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the vote by at that moment saying, "I hear you, Charlemagne. You want something tangible." I mean, if he, he didn't, he wouldn't even have had to have followed it up at that point. He could have said, "I'll come back to that." If he had used that one word, what do you think? But he was indignant. He, he could have spin it. He could have spin it into a really nice answer. But he was like, "I've spent eighteen minutes." talking to you don't you know what i've done for you i have your vote yeah right i already have your vote you say like well i don't know why i even had to come talk to you in the first place come on man it's a cherry (laughs) on top of what i already gave you yeah yeah yeah, and then the people are telling you it's a wrap you know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, my wife Jill got to use the use the use the phone, man. Come on, man. It's like, and then he just he flies off the handle. <laughs> my wife's got to use the phone. He did was kind of like that. <laughs> she needs to be on. <laughs> She's on the view. <laughs> yeah, he got pissed, and he's like, I mean, that's when his true colors really came out. Was like, wow. Okay, so you can also look at the whole interview and his response. Which I think is a very valid way of of, um, of interpreting it as how annoying I'm um, Joe. How annoying mm-hmm. is this shit? I already got this vote. Now I want to have to go and suck up to this guy. Okay, how much do I, how much do I have to do? Ten minutes? Well, you know, he really wanted an hour. I'll give him fifteen. And then he goes on yeah. for a little longer, and because that's what it was eight. And then he goes eighteen minutes, and uh, and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it, I mean, it, it's very possible that that's exactly what he was thinking and feeling. Like, oh, how annoying. And, and I got my wife. She needs the phone. <laughs> I'm going to squeeze this in, baby. It's just a black vote. We got that one. Don't worry about it. So we have Tremaine Lee. Um, he, he's on MSNBC. And I want to, we're going to get into the segment now of 
up until this point, I use the mainstream media, not that many black talking heads, because I wanted to get rational pushback against Joe Biden. Uh, even if you agree with his politics, you know, you can fairly point out to say, well, he was wrong there. He was wrong here. But the people, the Democrat, the black Democrat uh, establishment, uh, political party, pundits, all those, they are the worst. <laughs> and I mean the worst. They disgust me. Um, but they do this trick. They'll come out talking strong, like, oh, yeah, you know, Joe Biden. Uh, 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 and then as they go on, they do this weird switcheroo to where they start supporting him. And we heard that with uh, with the Soros guy. Yeah, uh, He came out strong. And then he was like, yeah, I mean, yeah we know the Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's thoughtfulness. You know, he'll, it'll, it'll show through in the rest of the election. Um, we're going to hear this over and over again, starting with Tremaine Lee. Uh, as he speaks on Joe Biden's comments. Joining us now is MSNBC correspondent Tremaine Lee. So now the vice president is being accused of treating the black vote as if it is a monolith, Tremaine. <laughs> you ain't black. Um, the level of hubris it takes for a, a white man, an old white man, or any white person to even ingest, uh, in, in, you know, say that he can determine who is black and who isn't is clearly outlandish. Um, but even in jest, these are kind of the kind of comments that could be problematic, but he clearly knows his audience on there with Charlemagne the God, playing it really loose and fast with the Breakfast Club. Uh, but this week on Into America, my podcast, we actually um, talked to black voters about Biden's prospects. And one thing is for sure, it's going to take a lot more than some off-the-cuff kind of insensitive remark to knock some of that support. If Tara Reid allegations aren't necessarily going to knock um, his position for black voters, it will take more than this. Wow. Some more butter for that biscuit, please. That, and it's what you start. Uh, uh, Joe Biden, you ain't black. You know, he came in strong and it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then, oh, well, you know, it's going to take more than that. You know, he's harassed a woman, uh, allegedly assaulted a woman. If that doesn't do it, you know, him saying somebody's not black, definitely not going to move the needle with the black vote. You know, he is a Pulitzer Prize winner, though, Mo. Man, that's disgusting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was but the... I'm glad wait, 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 wait. Yeah. He, In 2006, he was named Emerging Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists. Emerging Journalist. Uh, sounds Can like, you... Hold on. Before we like go any further. Shepherded in, yes. For the non-No Agenda listeners, can you... Tell them who supports the National Association of Black Journalists. Yes. You brought that up on the on the No Agenda show. Yes. Well, uh, that is uh, <laughs> uh, Van Jones was going to speak uh, at a, a webinar, I believe, since we're in the coronavirus lockdown for the National Association mm-hmm. of Black Journalists. Uh, it, it was canceled. And then after the fact, he kind of uh, uh, disinvited himself because he found out that the whole conference was sponsored by Huawei, the premier Chinese telecoms manufacturer, in particular of 5G equipment, who have been kicked out of the United States, the United Kingdom, and many other countries around the world for their um, alleged spying tactics in the networks. Basically, the the Chinese Communist Party was sponsoring the National Association of Black Journalists. 
And we also seen uh, some Chinese faction sponsoring uh, uh, the, the former members of Black Lives Matter. Well, uh, we've done that homework as well. They also, own, not, they also own the NBA while we're at it. Right. But I'm saying all this to say, and it's going to be, you know, lead me into this next clip. We've heard black journalists and talking heads come out and they were one of the big pushers of, no, you can't call it the Wuhan virus or the uh, <laughs> Kung flu. You know, they were really, but now you understand why, uh, who they're right. being supported by. <laughs> exactly. And, and including one of those people that did that was Miss Karen Hunter. Well, we have Miss Karen Hunter. She's going to chime in on Joe Biden's uh, gaffe or joke or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you ain't black. Joe Biden talking about uh, you ain't black. First of all, you're looking for our vote. Here's the power position, sir. You're the person who needs something from us, not the other way around. And don't get it twisted because you will lose. I'm telling you this right now, not because I want you to, because I'm voting for you. But you will lose if you feel like they're not going to vote for Trump so they don't have a choice. No, we have a choice. The choice showed up in 2016 and we got Donald Trump because 100 million people sat home and they weren't wrong for sitting home because there was nothing on the table for people to show up for. But now look where we are. We're in the midst of a pandemic and we see what that looks like. So, yeah, most of us are probably going to vote for you anyway. (laughs) She does it every time. (laughs) All right. Here's my Karen Hunter impression. What? Joe Biden, you like, what do you think you are? You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You fool. You lose. I, I'm, I'm Karen T now all of a sudden. <laughs> but I'm going to vote for you. Vote for you. <laughs> uh, I've gotten into the habit of, of listening to her on Sirius. Was it 126, I think? Yeah. In the ads, when I go out and do grocery shopping, I listen to the Karen Hunter show. It's very, very entertaining. She starts off talking about position of power. As a consumer. Your option of not buying the product is your position of power. Thank you. If you don't provide me with the service or the need or, uh, you know, the product or whatever that I want, I can walk. I can go, if you know, if Pepsi is not strong enough or sweet enough, I can go to Coke. And if neither one of those fit my fancy, then I'll get a bottle of water. But not her. Coke. I want you to make it sweeter, but if you don't make it sweeter, I'm still going to buy it anyway, but you know... Uh, <laughs> the ultimate brand loyalty right there. It's, and this is supposed to be our, our thought leaders. This, And I want to say something also. These people are getting killed in the YouTube comments and likes. So much so that the Breakfast Club actually had to stop their thumbs down and thumbs up counting. <laughs> it, just, it froze because I was going back catch, checking it every day. And if anybody knows about YouTube, you have more views than likes, dislikes, and then you have more dislikes and likes than comments. Where at one point, the comments surpass the likes and dislikes, which never happens on YouTube. It's just and get, it's the rule engagement. People are do a, more likely to do a thumbs up, thumbs down than to write a comment. So everybody had to weigh uh, in, I guess, huh? Right. Everybody. So they were. And I saw hardly any positive comments. Now, of course, there were bots and trolls and things of that nature in the comments, I'm sure. But it was uh, two to one negative to positive. Uh, Karen Hunter, she was getting killed in her comments. 
on the first video. So then she had to come back with this next video. I'm going to play clips from explaining to you why we must vote. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I went hard in the paint on, on Joe Biden, but it really wasn't about went Joe hard. Biden. <laughs> Did I do something wrong? No, I said she went hard. That's her going hard. I'm going to vote for you regardless, but that's her going hard. <laughs> I got you. Yes. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I went hard in the paint on, on Joe Biden, but it really wasn't about Joe Biden. I was talking more about um, how we should be treated or how we should demand we're treated. And I don't care who it is. If you need something from me, you need to come to me as if you need something from me. Not as if you're doing me a favor. You're not going to be patronized. You're not going to pat me on the head. And this is instructive. This is beyond Joe Biden or anyone else. This is, these are rules of engagement, which I talk quite often on these airwaves. And I don't care who's in the White House. This is, we should have a string of demands. And then we should also determine how you're going to come to us with respect. You know? But you said something powerful because I said I'm voting for Joe Biden no matter what. But I'm not going to just be quiet. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'm not just going to be quiet because I'm mature enough to un understand that the two things can happen at the same time. I can tell you how you're going to treat me. And at the same time, tell you that if you want something from me, this is what's going to happen. And this is how much time you have to get it done. Absolutely. And, and, but this is important because 2020, you just said people are like, oh, there's a third option. There's only two choices. There's a third option. Just vote down ballot. And so, and so this is what I always find interesting about Karen Hunter and people who who come up with this line of talking is it's always the same. And do the listeners never catch on and say like, hey, wait a minute, you're actually just disempowering us every single time? Like she's sitting there, like, uh, you got to do this, you got to do that. Well, if you don't, you know, the only thing you can threaten with is your vote. What else is there to threaten with? You're going to say something nasty about Joe on your show? And if she walked back, what she said about, well, I wasn't really talking about Joe. Uh, I was, you no, know, just saying in general. Hmm. This is that broken mindset that came from the civil rights movement. And I know a lot of people are probably going to kill me for this, but I don't give a rat's ass at this point. Um, you can spit on me, but I'm going to buy your coffee and pie. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Is your ice really that much colder? Is your coffee really that much hotter? Are your pie really that much sweeter that I'm going to endure abuse to give you my hard-earned money or I'm going to take your abuse to give you my hard-earned vote? And she played a trick at the very end because they, uh, they hear our talking points. They hear us. But, and I want you to play maybe the last maybe 15 seconds in, in one, one minute. She does this thing about the third option Listen what she what she lays out as the third option. When we say third option, we mean not voting. But listen what she said the third option is. Treat me and at the same time tell you that if you want something from me, this is what's going to happen. And this is how much time you have to get it done. Absolutely. And, and, but this is important because 2020, you just said people are like, oh, there's a third option. There's only two choices. There's a third option. Just vote down ballot. Yeah, no, the third option is not to vote, not vote down ballot. That's very different than the third option I've heard of. That's the sleight of hand trick. So now she's saying, now she's using ADOS, the political party, uh, political group's talking point of yeah. down ballot, which we pointed out on this show. Nobody votes down ballot. 
Everybody goes in, or most, the majority of people go in to do straight ticket. It's red team, blue team. Yeah. And nobody's sitting there checking out all the judges and, and dog catcher and whatever else is on the ballot. No, that's not how voting works in America. Uh, it should be. Maybe we want to get rid of a uh, straight ticket and make people actually vote. But no. But this is what they do. They hear our talking points. And we're going to hear examples of this later of them taking the talking points of free thinking individuals uh, that won't participate if we don't get anything tangible. And then they take our talking points and pervert them like she just did there. Yeah. Well, to give you some perspective, uh, uh, Mr. Carr, Dr. Carr, I want to be disrespectful. Um, he's a history professor at uh, University of Howard. You know saying? A pretty, pretty got bright guy, but me and him had words before. Ah, um, uh, yes. Yes, we know him this well. <laughs> is, this is the topic what made me call in when we had words at the radio, at the Howard radio station. His pick for who the greatest president is, that's what would trigger me to call in, but he's going to lay out his logic for the greatest president of all time here in this next clip. Now, people talk about who was the greatest American president. And I don't get in those debates because as a black person, you know, <laughs> we have very few options. <laughs> you know, there are very yeah. few options. Right. And so but however, if we look at the 20th century, you know, arguably uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, even though the racial implications of the New Deal, um, I'm thinking now of books like Fear Itself, um, books that talk about how the GI Bill. Uh, was used to exclude black people from being able to get mortgages in these white settlements, uh, white developments like Levittown. I mean, there was a racial dimension to the New Deal. But what we can't deny is that through those policies of the New Deal, you do see uh, the floor put under what becomes the middle class in this country. So you could argue that Roosevelt could be the person, um, the, the guy who wrote uh, uh, um, who wrote Fear Itself, also wrote a book called When Affirmative Action Was White. And he talks about the fact that these New Deal policies basically were affirmative action for poor whites. It elevated them out of the poor into the middle class. <laughs> Wait, huh? Yeah, that was uh, MoFax with Adam Curry episodes uh, two through eight, I believe. We <laughs> pulled that apart. Yeah. Uh, hold on. FDR could be the greatest president of all time, but be a racist. There you go. That's his logic. Yeah, go Joe then, I guess. So they go to show you it's not about being a racist. It's about red or blue. Those mm-hmm. are the colors that matter. Not black and white. It's red and blue. Because if somebody uses that same exact logic for Donald Trump, uh, saying, well, you know, Donald Trump has been good, you know, for the economy and whatever else. Even t- say you take it at face value that he's a racist, right? Um, If they use the argument, well, he is a racist, but, you know, my former K is looking good and he brought jobs back to America and, you no. Know, he, and, you know, the, these are talking points that you hear. This guy will fly through the roof. So I'm, well, you, you, he's a racist. He makes me feel bad. Uh, you know, that kind of. <laughs> you're channeling George Jefferson, by the way. But, 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 he, but he lays out how FDR whole New Deal was racist, but then say he's greatest the greatest president ever. That's right. I know. It's, these it's, people are it's nuts. Baffling. It's baffling, Mo. Well, we're at the point of the show now where Charlemagne has to come out and address what has happened on The Breakfast Club. So his first interview was on Friday night on CNN, and he discusses uh, Biden's apology. I mean, so that's that's what you're saying. But but you're but you're, you're saying he still hasn't shown you why you would vote for him specifically. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just that simple. Like, he has a black agenda called the, the Lift Every Voice uh, Lift Every Voice plan. And, I mean, there's some cool things in there, but I still think that it could be much stronger. He's already committed to having a black woman on the Supreme Court. And I think that, you know, a, a black woman running mate is necessary, especially after the day, you know? And, like, the statement he made was interesting, you know, because that's something I hear from other black people. You know, it's very interesting to see that a old white man also looks at black people in that way. Like, that question, what makes somebody black, that's a discussion for black people to have, you know. And a white man is certainly not qualified to have that discussion. But people do connect blackness to support and protection of black culture. So I guess when we see a black person voting for Trump and you, you know Trump is a threat to marginalized people in this country, it does make you question how much that person cares about his people. So I understand the statement is just a shock coming from a whole white man like Joe Biden. It was a real bulwark moment if you've ever seen that movie. Wow. Yes. Wow. I understand the statement that goes, that leans, lends to what you were talking about of white Democrats. Yes, this, that's exactly this that is exactly them. it. But not you know, they'll even dance around it more than this. This was very direct. Gee. Not holding Joe Biden accountable or At responsible all. for his words. He's like, Yeah, I understand where he's coming from because you know those people that uh that voted for Donald Trump, you know, they they really ain't black. That's basically what he's saying. I mean, this has got a this is what is the response towards Charlemagne? Are people responding to this? Are they are they saying, "Hey, yo, this is you're off base here"? Well, he was th- he was getting lit up on Twitter Friday night and Saturday morning, so then he had to go see, um, uh, uh, oh, Joy, Joy Reed. Reed. Oh, yeah, this is, I got the emergency yeah, call. Yeah. Adam, you got a, you got a DVR, DVR Joy Reed. I'm like, I don't know, man. My DVR rejects her somehow, but I'll try. <laughs> this is why I had to push the show back to after Sunday. Because I knew what the play was going to be. Get Charlemagne on uh, Morning Joe. I mean, not Morning Joe. Excuse me. Joy Reid, AM Joy. Uh, because that's the black Sunday morning news show. Right. And I knew he was going to do his his round there. So I was like, you know, and then you do a show on Sunday. So I was like, it has going to have to be after Sunday. Because I knew he was going to have to make this stop. Right. But seeming that he came so weak on the CNN and was kind of like justifying Joe's statement, he, he kind of had that to... Can't play. He can't play that on MSNBC with Joy Reid. Right. It was like a test run. It was like, let's let's try this on uh, you know CNN Friday night. Nobody's really watching. Uh, and we'll see how it goes over. And then we'll refine our talking points for the big show on on Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> it's so sad to think Joy Reid is the big show, but yeah, okay. Well, it's the, it is this well, what's the what's the morning show that comes on um uh every s- Sunday morning for um it has Chuck Todd. Yeah, it's uh, um, Meet the Press. Right. She's like she's basically like the Black Meet the Press. That's basically <laughs> what it's been <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm serious. Uh I mean that that's kind of like what it's I, been branded. I, I, I just as. find her so unimpressive. That's that's the reason why I like okay. Well, I don't... So it's Chuck Todd, so it's on brand. No, you, I got, mean... you got a great t- point taken. <laughs> uh, yes. So let's let's hear let's hear Charlemagne's repackaged uh take on Joe Biden. Your listeners, um, I'm sure give you lots and lots of feedback about what it is that they want from this man what 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 are people telling you that they want him to do 
Um, just some really major policy commitments for the black community, uh, mainly in the form of economic justice. So we can, you know, tip the scales on some of this wealth inequality in America. Um, I do hear a lot of people say, you know, we also want him to have a black woman running mate, you know, but not just any black woman running mate, one that's going to actually, you know, get in office and care that black people benefit from her presence there. You know, we need substance and significance over symbolism. And he's already committed to putting a black woman on the Supreme Court. So I just want him and the Democratic Party to know that it's time to give back to the black community in a very tangible way. But I, I can say that, you know, the major the major point that I'm hearing about is just, you know, economic justice, some form of economic justice. All right, let me unpack this from my perspective. So he's okay. Uh, first of all, we know Charlemagne is all in on Kamala. So this is a this is a push, economic justice. I think he's I think he's signaling that uh, Kamala Harris should be the VP, and mm-hmm. somehow he's saying, "Oh, okay, a tangible would be a uh, a, a, a black uh, vice president, a black female vice president would be a tangible." D- didn't didn't we? go through the whole black president thing and it didn't really benefit everybody that much i mean you walked me right into it because i was gonna go right there how is it that we had a black president and we could only get an 18 to 1 on the crack to cocaine (laughs) uh uh ratio but you think a black female vice president is gonna do what exactly that's a tangible no how is that a tangible and it's um economic uh what was the word they use economic, economic justice justice that's cold word for reparations that's what that is uh but he can't say that uh not yet uh but, wow and and i and i i was f- too focused on the camel apart mm-hmm. to realize that economic that's exactly what it is economic justice is is code for reparations. I like it though. It's it's a it's a good way to package it, but you you, you got to put some meat behind it. Right, it's safe. It's safe. I'm like, just say it. I mean, if you we're at this point now, stop tiptoeing around the subject. Say it. If you don't say it, then you know you don't acknowledge me. I want to acknowledge you, kind of thing. But does Charlemagne? Uh, but- does, it's, I don't think Charlemagne. That's not his thing. He's not going to say reparations. Well, he might. Let's listen to the second clip and find out. The interview um, was cut short. You could hear the audio of uh, one of the campaign staffers saying, well, we have to we have to end now that uh, the former vice president has to do another interview. You said you had more questions. What else did you want to ask him? I'm going to let you get your questions out now. Oh, that's good. I actually have a couple of them right here. Um, I wanted to ask him about reparations because, you know, uh, in his black agenda to lift every voice, uh, he committed to studying reparations. And, you know, I just wanted to ask him what does reparations you know, for black people look like to him and what is he prepared to do? Yeah. Okay. I think that's bull crap. I think it's, I think he's lying. He knew he had the repackage. He had 15 minutes. He got three extra minutes. Come on, man. My wife's got to use the phone. He had 15 minutes and he didn't put reparations until the very, very, Oh, I was going to do it in the 20th minute. That should have been the last question you asked. Uh, if, like he be rushing off the phone, then you like, hey, you know what? Well, fine. What? What? What's? What's? What do you think about reparations? Yeah, before you go, he wasn't before, gonna ask. Before you go, or, yeah, exactly. Before, before you, you go out. and get, give Jill the phone. <laughs> <laughs> just, just give me, a, give me a little thought on those reparations thing we've been yapping about, Joe. <laughs> that would have been the time to ask it, right? Yeah, but he I didn't because mm-hmm. he wasn't gonna ask it because Cory Booker already told us we just got the the ability to say the word. So you're not going to ask a 
the the nominee for the Democratic Party on a on a primetime show. I'm not primetime, but it was a highly visible radio show because people were anticipating this because he had dodged them. No, it's it's a prime it's a primetime show. It's a morning drive primetime show. Right. So yeah, this is complete BS. But this is the repackage from CNN. Yep. Uh, they learned. They, he did, yep. They yeah, learned. He, he, yep. You're right. He learned and adjust. But what this all was really about, it wasn't about um, people being upset that Joe Biden said something about black people or who were black or not. This was everybody in the political sphere chance to level up. This is what this was really about. Uh, they know Joe needed help. And it's like, ooh, let me get my resume in. You know, the book, the biscuits are hot. <laughs> you know, the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to go help. Uh, got to go help Joe. An example of this was what led the uh, AM Joy show uh, before Charlemagne got on. And this is AM, uh, AM Joy Biden hires blacks. When friend of the show, Kareem Jean-Pierre, officially joins the Biden presidential campaign team. It's an especially unique moment for the Biden campaign. Biden is boasting strong poll numbers, leading the sitting president by eight points, even in a Fox News poll. But with the ups come the downs. Biden has risked alienating his base with significant missteps as recently as this week, which is why Corrine Jean-Pierre matters. A veteran of the Barack Obama 2008 campaign who became an Obama White House staffer, then an author. And while we still had her, an MSNBC contributor and fan favorite, Kareen adds crucial credibility and experience to Team Biden. But she also enhances the team in another way. As a senior advisor, Kareen will join what until now has been a rather exclusive club. Despite the presence of high-profile African-American staffers like senior advisor Simone Sanders, according to Rutgers University professor's analysis, Biden's national senior staff is 14 percent African-American. And as of now, those whispering the closest in Mr. Biden's ear are rather uniform. Well, I'm very familiar with Corrine Jean-Pierre because I mm-hmm. uh, looked into her, follow her. I'm not a fan. I, I don't like her attitude. I don't like, uh, I just don't like, she, she rubs me the wrong way. And uh, and we do know that she is Haitian American, right? She's not. Uh, yes, that is correct. She's not uh, so she doesn't African American. She, she, she probably wouldn't be sympathetic to the, the whole plight of ADOS. Now, I'm just. Alleging that, I mean, they're uh, or speculating on that. But what I want to point out is, yeah, see, she got the job. Everybody was leveraging, hey, Joe, Joe, Joe needs more black people. Uh, so let me let me get out here and uh, kiss a little butt, and you know, maybe he picked me. And it's amazing how Joe Biden and the Democrats only have fourteen percent representation on their ca- uh, on their campaign. <laughs> That no, this is one of those number games again, where we can't be below the uh, average population. So you know, we got right. we got at least to be fourteen percent. Yeah, all it, of this matters. It's sad, man. Sad. This is complete bullcrap. But <laughs> as we said with um Simone Sanders, well, so when Simone Sanders was on the Biden campaign, oh, not the Biden campaign, but on Bernie, the uh, Bernie campaign, Bernie campaign. She was talking about leadership should reflect the democratic d- diversity. Let's listen to that, please. 
Howard Dean, you know, Howard Dean was there for that 50 state strategy. But here's the issue. Howard Dean is also on record maligning young people and millennials, telling those Bernie folks they just need to get in line and maligning Bernie Sanders. And that is not what we need. In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. The Democratic Party is diverse and it should be reflected as so in our leadership and throughout the, the staff at the, top, at the highest levels, from the vice chairs to the secretaries, all the way down to the people working in the offices at the DNC. I think we need to have a robust discussion about this. And I think we need to hear more from all the candidates. Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, he's great too. He has done real party building, but everybody doesn't necessarily know Jamie and they want to know what it is that he stands for. So yeah. I want to hear more from everybody. I'm here for the millennials and the brown folks. <laughs> <laughs> she threw in brown, brown folk, folk at the end. <laughs> yeah. But then when she gets the job with Biden, God, he only different. has 14%. That's right. Where, where's this? Where's, where's the brown folks at? Where's the young people at? Nah, ain't none of that. You you just, you do your job and you hush up. Uh, well, we continue on with uh Joe. Um, I keep want to say uh Joy Biden, but that's, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's correct. Um, uh, this be her new name, Joy Biden. In a way, um, yeah. uh, she speaks on uh, hiring blacks too. Perhaps that helps to explain some of the off keynotes that team that, that Biden has sounded in the past couple of weeks. Biden and his team, I should say, like failing to directly respond to an op ed written by prominent black women activists and influencers who called on Biden to commit to choosing a black woman running mate, a black woman on the Supreme Court and a substantive black agenda to give black voters a return on their investment in the Democratic Party and in the Biden candidacy, and frankly, to shore up the community that's sure to be hit the hardest with voter disenfranchisement in Republican-led states, and who knows, maybe from Russia again, and who face the greatest mortality risk if forced to line up and vote due to disproportionate rates of COVID-19 sickness and death. Now, to be clear, the issue is not about threatening to withhold votes from Biden. Just look at what's happening in America right now. It's about policy concerns that black voters still have, even now. Biscuits for sale. I got nice <laughs> biscuits for sale. It's not about... Let's not, be clear. It's not about not voting. No, 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 no. And she brought up one, two points. I want to get to the, the small point first. They're going to push this voting from home mail-in ballot thing. So she floated that idea there because she's like, well, the... Going to the polls is going to be dangerous, especially for black people. So they're going to use us to push voting from home in some kind of format or <laughs> way. Well, because you can't wait, kill wait, the wait. black people with corona. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. It's like a binary one. Uh, uh, like you needed the two parts of the of the equation to, to make it work. You needed to have higher numbers of... Uh, COVID nineteen for uh, African Americans, and mm-hmm. then you need, and then you need to add the mail in vote. You got to combine the two together because you know, we can't kill the blacks with the Rona. Jeez, if you brilliant. want black people to go to the polls, then you want them to be dead. It's basically how it's going to be communicated. No, 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 no. Donald Trump wants them to be dead. That's that will be the communication. Yeah. And they're already, they're already laying the groundwork for that. Uh, so be prepared for that talking point to pop, pop, pop up. The big talking uh, point that she propped up there was uh, this opinion piece that uh, they had in the Washington Post, which all of these, let me get uh, who all was in it. 
Uh, you had uh, Latoya Brown, co-founder of Black Votes Matter, Tiffany D. Cross. We had her on the show. She was the one that backed the, uh, um, um, the one that disrespected Kobe. Gail King, remember? She was like, oh, Gail is being attacked by the misogyny. Oh, 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 oh uh, yes. That's yes, her. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, Then you had uh, Brittany Packnett, uh, Cunningham, activist, educator, writer, uh, Alicia Garza. That's the Black Lives Matter lady. Wow. And every, the every, of everybody Black came out. Everybody came oh, out. Oh, I'm, I'm not done yet. Uh, you had Sonny Holston, a.k.a. Uh, Big Time Boule lady. <laughs> I'm the uh, view. A.k.a. <laughs> yeah, she, she was riding hard for Kamala. Uh, then you have uh, Angela Rye. Uh, she was oh, involved. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Amanda man. Seals. Uh, yeah. So the, all these women put this thing together that we're going to play shortly. Wow. And Joe Biden ignored them. Igno- he didn't even acknowledge them. What? As he should have done with the Breakfast Club. If he was smart, he would have said, I got your vote already. That's how you work in politics. And I'm not saying that he should ignore black people. But if somebody's going to give you something, if somebody say, I'm going to buy from you regardless, you don't cater to their needs. That's how business works. Yeah, don't sell, past the, don't work. sell past the clothes. Right. Uh, but let's listen to a snippet from their Washington Post uh, opinion piece. Vice President Biden, you need us. You owe us. Black women are miracle workers. We have been saving the Democratic Party since 1965. 2020 is no different. Your only path to victory is through Black women. The voters who need to turn out, we know how to mobilize them. Our votes must not be taken for granted. The following commitments will begin to show Black voters that you are serious about us. America needs a Black woman vice president. Candidates like Amy Klobuchar will not energize us. America needs a, a black, black woman Supreme, Supreme Court, Court justice. justice. Remember Anita Hill? We do. America needs more in a comprehensive black agenda. The rules are rigged against our communities. Holy trash heap. Mo, <laughs> wait a minute. Did, 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 now, was this completely Washington Post organized or was there... Was, is, does this group have a name? Are they an organization by themselves? I found this on the Washington Post uh, YouTube channel, and it's organized by Washington Post. I mean, I don't they, all they have all of them have their own individual organizations, but there's no one big organization. Yeah, but this, uh, this but this, this but this video this this uh, this little montage was produced right. by the Washington Post. Yes. <laughs> Wow! Did the and DN- did you hear the order? Oh yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But did the DNC just walk up and say, "Here it is, and here's your check"? I mean, what the hell is this all about? This is not a. This is pick pick me. This is mammy behavior, and I and I've said that before. Wow! And people may get mad at me. I don't really care at this point because if you participate in this kind of behavior, uh, pick me, pick me. It's like uh, that. How disgusting is that? And then you lay out, uh, they said the tangibles at the end, the agenda <laughs> at the end. First, we need the black, black, right. <laughs> I forgot you had that. <laughs> um, but yeah, they laid out vice president first, which is nothing but a symbol, a symbolic position. Yeah. Two is the Supreme Court justice, which if you really wanted, 
one or the other, I would take the Supreme Court justice because at least they will be there forever and they actually That's can some real power. Do things. That's some real power, yeah. Right. But, but then they put but, the, but the, that, but the, the agenda last. But it's but it's also a little um uh sinister because you're talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying. You know, you, yes. it's not like Joe becomes president and hey, I'm going to add one. That's not not the uh, plan. It's like Ruth, <laughs> Ruth, time to <laughs> you go. Gotta go Ruth. You got to go. You got to turn black or go. <laughs> one right. or the other, black or blue. Oh, it, it, and it can be both. <laughs> yeah, and I find that I find that a little sinister because that, that is, I mean, how do you think she feels? What's that? They don't care. They, uh, you, you heard what they want. And it's, and their priorities are really just jacked up from the very beginning. Because like I said, I mean, the order of things is all, all out of whack. But imagine you doing this to get picked and Joe Biden ignored you. Yeah, that that's that's the harsh part. They completely and, did not acknowledge it at all. And you know the sad thing about this whole thing is even if they pick Amy Klobuchar, they'll do this mental gymnastics and say, well, at least she's a woman. <laughs> yeah. And we still got to vote for Joe. I mean, no, seriously. Uh, <clears throat> it, I'm going I'm gonna have first- to. I'm, I'm gonna have to look this whole thing up on the Washington Post. This is. Uh, <laughs> this is. What, what did it, did it ha- have a title or what was it? Uh, it was. A- it's two minutes long. I only play like forty four. Uh, opinion Biden. You need black women voters. Okay. All right. This is how you win them. I got you. Uh, two things. One from our from our very first show. You asked me. You said I think our second show maybe. You said, well, what's, what's the play for them to get black women to vote? You asked me that question. And I yeah. said, ego. Now you see. And it, okay. E- this yeah. is ego. And when I say black women, I'm not talking about the average everyday black woman. I'm talking about these political agents, pundits, whatever you want to call them. They don't have any moral backing or, or you know underpinnings to say you know well at some point we were, we were tired of being disrespected they double down and say hey we said pick me but now we say it louder since you you know we have more leverage for you to for you to use against you to pick me yeah another thing we discussed earlier is remember the three pictures on the wall yes uh, it was uh mlk oprah jfk and the the original was MLK, JFK, and Jesus, and, and Jesus, right? And then it they got replaced with Obama, o- Oprah. I mean, excuse me, I mean Michelle Obama, Oprah, and, and Beyonce. Some, uh, no, Beyonce. Beyonce, Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. So this next clip I found funny. Uh, this is thirty five. Listen, what we're saying. What we're saying is during the primary. We helped resurrect his campaign. You know, I like to call him Lazarus, Amanda. Yes, I know you do. Yes, and you know, I think black women are Jesus. In this context, I'm not being blasphemous. What? (laughs) She's basically saying they resurrected Joe Biden's campaign, so they're like Jesus. Oh, 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 no, she did not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, he didn't even acknowledge them, and she has to say that. That's so he, sad. 
And this is this is why you can't trust these people, and this is why we do what we do. So I, I want to take this time uh, to thank the people that su- to support us, you know, to allow us to do what we do. I understand that there's some people out there who need my services. Yes, Lord. Are there any people out there who are weak? Yes. yes. Any people out there who are weary? Yes. yes. Any people out there who are tired? Just need a heal. Y'all got cash. Well then come on down. That's right. We always love surprising you with a uh, clip for our donation segment as we uh, go into the value for value uh, rollout for this episode of MoFax with Adam Curry. This is real work. Uh, A lot of thought goes into this production. And man, are we happy to have you as co-producers of this uh, this show the uh, feedback we're getting the uh, the amount of uh, well I, I just see people propagating the message about this show everywhere particularly on uh, on social networks getting other people to listen bringing them in and it's really paying off i mean we we're seeing everything grow the numbers go and people are talking about it it's fantastic and that is exactly how it should go is exactly how it should work and is exactly why we don't have advertising or commercial interest. We could do that, but then perhaps we'd be at risk of getting canceled. Uh, it's uh, you know, very precarious when you uh, talk about to- open and freely with an open mind about uh, people that uh, move and shake the world. Uh, so this is the model that we've chosen, and we have people supporting us, and really great support today. And we have our executive producers and associate executive producers uh, to thank as well. We'll start with them as uh, Anthony... Trugsnicht, I think I'm pronouncing it right, or Trugsnicht? What do you think, uh, Mo? I think that's right, Trugsnicht. Well, Anthony uh, is from, uh, well, he's the Baron of the Philippines, which is, uh, I'm sure, a no-agenda peerage title. Um, Mm -hmm. And and he sent us $500, which is, and this is what I love, that's the value that he assigns to what he's getting out of this show, and that tickles me that's, that's really nice and it's incredibly appreciated and he wants a mo baby making karma we haven't had <laughs> we haven't had this particular request um actually someone sent me an official uh mo karma jingle and i'm going to look up real quick Did they? <laughs> you've got mo karma <laughs> uh, who sent that to us uh john swoboda thank you very much john thank you john <laughs> that was fantastic and thank you very much anthony uh, uh our top executive producer uh for episode 38 of mofax with adam curry uh, dave fugazotto checks in with 222 dollars and 33 cents clearly code and he says, Mo, thank you for your courage. Love this podcast and what you're doing. Perhaps you already got an episode planned, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on TV series such as uh, Black AF, uh, Luke Cage, Blackish, we have discussed that, and other media mm-hmm. with a black or African-American orientation. I've been watching a few of them, and your show has given me a different lens for viewing. So this is that's what I love here, that kind of feedback. You've touched on a couple of them occasionally, but I think it would be interesting for a deep dive. I thought Black AF was pretty hilarious at times, but while laughing, had to ask myself, WWMT, (laughs) what would Mo think? 
keep up the great work. We could certainly do that. I mean, I, I think. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, you're right. We touch on all of it and get around to it. That, that's a lot of what what's going on. It's a lot, a lot of what we are talking about, actually. Black Black is on Black AF is uh, Black ass. You know what? Yeah, um, is definitely on my list. Yeah, definitely on my list. Good. And thank you, uh, thank you, Dave. Timothy Cato, $150, who says, this is for Big Mama and Pop Pop. Thank you for your courage. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Timothy. <laughs> Robert Conti, $100.69. A Swazelnuff, special coded number. Thank you both. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Robert. Uh, and uh, Robert, uh, and let's see. Uh, and Timothy and Dave, uh, uh, all associate executive producers, actually executive producers. Then we have Baron uh, Sir D.H. Slammer, a.k.a. Mofax Boulet, D.H. Slammer the God, <laughs> who has given himself his own title. Sounds legit to me, $100.33. It says, my favorite segment is Inside Baseball. One day I hope to get invited to the barbecue. I think he means the cookout. But we'll give him directions yeah. to the barbecue. I'd be grateful if Mo <laughs> would grace us with a single live woosa. I'm already thinking of my boule title. Is $1,000 total the first target? Baron Sir D.H. Slammer and Mo Fax boule D.H. Slammer the God in waiting. Well, we haven't even thought about those kinds of levels because, you know, the support is, has, I mean, we've just started doing this, but already we can tell that people will be very interested in, uh, and creating some kind of uh, fun targets for our donations. We have um, to talk to the board about it. We do have to talk to the Boulay board, and uh, <laughs> and 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 this will be new. We need a, need a live woosa. Woosa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to come up with an effect for you, so you can do that in the yeah. effect. I'll, I'll work on that. Maybe someone will send one for to us. Uh, Lon Baker. $100 from Lon. Uh, no note, but thank you very much, Lon. Sonia Rose, and that'll be our last executive producer, comes in also with $100 and says, Thank you guys for the incredible work you do. The amount of thought-provoking topics, perceptions, and ideas you put out to the world is unmatched. And uh, we also call her Sonny, as she's known. Thank you very much, Sonny. Associate executive producer Steele Stuckert. Or Stuckart, $50, and says, thank you, guys. Elvis Rosenberg, $50, and says, I'm humbled. Thanks for the plug. Of course, uh, Elvis. Chef. Yes, Elvis. Uh, uh, chef Elvis Rosenberg has supported us in the past. And where where does, uh, where can we uh, see Chef El- uh, Elvis Rosenberg's work? On YouTube. He has a YouTube channel. Elvis right. the Chef Rosenberg. Exactly. Then we have uh, Neil from Elm City, $40. Keep up the good work. ADOS is the new Tea Party, is uh, his comment. Oh, it was an interesting take. James Holly, $33.33, some good code. Not going to lie, Mo, says James. I was a little salty. I didn't get the true Mo karma on my last request, but episode 37 made up for it. The older I get, the more I realize how gray this world really is, and I appreciate how you and Adam make uh, think for yourself. As my buddy Andrew says, we are zebras in a donkey barn, and I'm looking forward to future episodes. And let me uh, give him uh, one of these brand new Mo Karma since uh, we're, we're test driving it on today's show. <laughs> You've got Mo Karma. <laughs> Something really cool about it. 
yeah, can't quite explain. That's like how the, the 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 harp just kind of trails and rotates for a while at the end there. Uh, Connor Lawrence, uh, $33.33 from Connor and has a note here in the morning, gentlemen. I uh, hope you two are doing well and staying healthy mentally. Yeah, I think we're doing okay, keeping each other sane. Thank you, too, for the tremendous show last week. I think it's the exact message people need to hear in light of the marriage between Pharma and the M5M. Question from Mo. Is Kendrick Lamar Boulay? The judge, still, the judge, the uh, jury's still out on him. I'll say that. When uh, you're affiliated with Dr. Dre, that, that lends to certain things. Uh, let me uh, follow up with this question. Uh, is there mm-hmm. a MoFax file that has been opened on Kendrick Lamar? Well, he, he'll be in the hip hop file, but okay. I mean, I, I watched, I watched the moves. <laughs> uh, and then a, uh, Connor has a follow up for me. The CE, the CE5 doc is not made by To The Stars. They actually speculate that To The Stars. Oh, okay. This is about the, uh, the entertainment uh, company that makes the, uh, the alien or the alien UFO documentaries, I think. Yeah, I think you mentioned that on the previous Yeah, that's show. what it was. Yeah. He says, the movie is made by Stephen Greer and is about how to initiate psychic contact with aliens. Hence why I wanted to ask your opinion, because who knows if they're really aliens or if they're just Lucifer's pawns. Uh, I believe that there are aliens. Uh, I'm not sure if they're from outer space or from inner space or whatever. But yes, there are, there are different people who live among us. That's probably, mm. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think I've met a couple of them. Uh, at any rate, thank you both for the mental cleanse you have provided to me and all the listeners. You both hold very special places in my heart, and I thank you for all you've done. Can I get a goat woosa for me and Alyssa? And some mo karma for my clients as they're locked in their rooms and unable to go anywhere due to the swollen amygdalas of our managers. Be safe, be well, be yourself, and be in line with the truth with love and reverence, your friend Connor. That is a very, very nice note. And uh, let me make sure I got it all lined up here because this is all uh, all new. Where's my uh, Where's my Wusa? <laughs> oh no! I hope we didn't lose the Wusa. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. No, we got it. It's all good. Wusa. We're alive. Wusa. 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 You've got Mocom. There you go. <laughs> I just got to get the sequence right. Got to get the right spots on the board. It's all new. It's all new for everybody. Uh, thanks, Connor. Very nice note. Adrian Magnuson White, uh, $25 with no note, but we thank you uh, no matter what, uh, Adrian. And then we have uh, the chef Elvis Rosenberg coming in again. I think this is his uh, subscription, his regular uh, donation, $25. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, the shell game is everywhere. That's a callback to the Title of episode number 37. Clinton comes in with $23. No, he ain't going to work on Lincoln's farm no more. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, James Fredericks, $20 from James. Thank you, James. The pod is mind-blowing. Thanks for sharing your powerful perspective. You are building bridges, sir. Never stop, says Jimmy Fred. Carlos Romero's uh, $20 from him. Just listened to episode 37. Wow. Abe Lincoln is not the man I thought he was. Also interesting to learn about Royal Dutch Shell's interest in the 1619 project. Anyways, leaving you a dub. Great show. Carlito R. A dub? Is that slang? 
20. Why is that called a dub? That's a good question. I feel stupid. <laughs> I actually don't. I mean, that's just, it just popped up as a dub. Yeah. I mean, like. I'm I'm still uh, in racks and stacks, you know. I got that down, but I didn't know about the dub. Oh, dub is old. It's way, it's, it's, it's old, old. There you go. Thank you very much, Carlo. Uh, Nathaniel Masters, also $20. Thaw, love the show. Thoughts about hoteps? Would tax-free status be considered a tangible? Well, that's a lot of questions in one. You, you can but, take well, those. Well, thoughts on hoteps, I think that word has been perverted and... Like any other label, I'm careful how I use those things. Um, now, tax-free status was definitely a tangible and, and one, one that I'm all for. Definitely very, all for. Very interesting way of doing it. I, that would be my one of, if outside of cash, whole cold hard cash, uh, just make everything tax-free. I mean, cell phones, uh, everything. All those little taxes to eat up your money. I think that would definitely have a huge impact on people's lives. That's very interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't, have we talked about that? About, uh, about, a. I, I think we mentioned it once, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for that one. And the reason why, because the mechanism would be really easy to do if you do a payroll uh, tax. Um, the, because that's, wow, I hadn't considered that because that is directly from the federal government. Uh, right. they, they control it, it based upon your social security number. Which, you know, of course, is connected to your identity from which many things can be derived. Interesting mm-hmm. way to do it. That, there's your then economic you just file ju- all the taxes. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, that, that's your economic justice mechanism. Very exactly. interesting. Exactly. And then you, every, all the taxes that you file throughout, I mean, pay throughout the year, you just file them on your taxes at the end of the year and settle up with the IRS. It's, 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 a, it's a very doable, tangible. And, and I would encourage anybody uh, to back this idea. And I'll tell you why, because it'll, it's inevitable, no matter what the mechanism is, uh, other groups will use it, and it will be used in other administrations and other, uh, for other reasons, but um, for once, it'll be good to let our African-American brothers and sisters go first with a good thing. Right. It's very possible. No more holding the door. <laughs> it's, but, holding the- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's so, it's so much easier than, uh, than cutting a check. Because you know, it's you, definitely you, because doable. You also, it's definitely doable. Because you also kind of have to be productive. We might have to talk about that, like in, in detail. I'd, on, I'd, on, I'd, on lo- I'd love, show. I'd love to talk about that in detail. It's a right. very interesting way of doing it. Anyway, uh, thank you, Nathaniel. Yeah, for Nathaniel. That. Yeah, this is exactly how value for value works. You know, and this is the feedback loop. It's very important. Thank you, Nathaniel. It really means a lot. Harm Feinstra, that I think believe he's Dutch. Uh, excellent shows, he says, and I don't know if it's Harm or Neek, but it's Mr. Feinstra, and 1999 is his number, and we appreciate it. Bobby Rowe comes in with 1960. <laughs> I attend school to be a history teacher, he says. The cost of tuition is a $490 a credit hour. After 75 days of class, that comes out to one class being worth $19.60. This is how I came to what the actual value of your lesson on Abraham Lincoln was last week. I now work with kids in the juvenile justice system, and your podcast definitely has shifted my conversations as a white man from those talking to kids from the eyes of a new Jim Crow to the eyes of Mo. Let that sink in for a second, my friend. 
<laughs> yeah, that, when I read a, this, I was that's a big compliment. Yeah, that's that's a very and it, and I agree. Your conversations have shifted my eyes from a message of victimization to a message of empowerment. Thank you for your hard work, and I'll happily take all the jingles, Goat Woosa, and any others you have combined with combined into. What does this say? Combined into on by, I think maybe one by. Uh, yeah, but it, one it by. show in honor of Joe Biden's shit, shit show. show. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure what I can do for you there, but we can certainly give you the goat and the woosa and the karma, and I'm going to hit that right now for you. Woosa, woosa, woosa. I'm sending you tons of good ass energy. Take that, take that, take that. You've got Mo Karma. <laughs> I, I like that uh, combination. How about that? That's, that's, that's for well, yeah. well, well, Bobby Rowe really brought it with the 1960, and that is, mm-hmm. I love that because it's a great example of value. It's what he gets for for teaching. It's you know it's what what the what the, it's what the what the actual cost is great perfect number thank you uh, James Niemeyer obviously liked the previous episode and uh, it was one of two people who came in with sixteen dollars and nineteen cents a call back to the New York Times sixteen nineteen project which uh, James says he loved John Taylor mm-hmm. says enlightening sixteen dollars and nineteen cents anonymous eleven dollars eleven cents magic numbers thank you for that no note though Pierce Stith Ten dollars, just a small token of my appreciation for all of the work you put into your informative and entertaining podcast. Thank you, Pierre. Jordan Chapman says thanks for the show. Sends us ten dollars. This recently shook me. Cure or con? More gubernatorial gubernatorial misconduct with special guest John Cullen. Your hustle and integrity is appreciated. Yeah, that was a YouTube video he sent to me, and I do watch Goodman's uh, channel as well. So that I have to check out this episode, but I haven't seen this episode. But I do watch Goodman's. Uh, okay, channel. so that's a good production note, and we appreciate that, I- Jordan. And uh, and uh, it'll all of it eventually comes out in the show. William Hawthorne, five dollars, but no note. But we appreciate it. Dave and Swigart, Swigart, S W I G A R T, five dollars mm-hmm. for enduring two hours of a squawking harpy for your loyal listeners. <laughs> Okay, uh, and finally, Ken uh, sends us three dollars and thirty three cents, and says, "Letting us not watch AM Joy and still know the agenda." <laughs> so he's he's feeling uh, all kinds of value, and I really want to thank every single one of these people uh, who've supported the show, who are our producers. We have got our executive producers, our associate executive producers, and a lot of value coming back—not just the numbers, but the things that are being said and the <clears throat> ideas—and that is really how. The, uh, how the game works these days. This is how we grow and how we learn together and we're not hindered by any outside noise or interest. Uh, please consider supporting us for our next show. Uh, you can go to mofax.com, support MoFax with Adam Curry. If you want to go to the donation page directly, it's uh, mofundme.com, M-O-E-F-U-N-D-M-E.com, mofundme.com. And thank you again all very much. And it's funny that people, the last two comments that what they made about the squawking harpy 
Yeah. And they're letting us know, uh, let us, letting us not watch AM Joy. The reason why I say that is, I watched that show for the whole two hours. And by the time I was done, I was charged. Like, I mean, <laughs> fired up. Right, man, because I normally digest it in small chunks, but to sit, because I, I want to make sure I caught everything, um, you know, that maybe the other things they would leave out of clips uh, that they put on the internet. So, by the time I watched it, I will, that's why I posted that, what I posted on Twitter, that, man, I was, it's mind control. It's yeah. no other, there's no other way to say it, mind control. So I want to use this, this final block of clips uh, to counterbalance that mind control. Now, it's the antidote. You, this is like the, this is the vaccine we're giving you right here. Right, right. This is, this the, is, hydro- <laughs> this is the hydroxychloroquine of mind control. <laughs> <laughs> with with the D three uh, booster, <laughs> with the D three booster and a side of zinc coming at you. Uh, we have to really look at this thing called black. Seriously, because I know on the show all the time I say so called or quote unquote black, because I don't really I use that term black, but I have a love hate relationship with it because it's not who I am. It's an adjective. It's not a noun. It's not a nationality. It's not a uh, totally not a culture. Not a uh, any of these things. It's just a descriptor. And if it can easily be defined and stripped away from people, we really have to look at getting rid of this term and finding another term that better fits us. That's why I was all geeked up about ADOS, ADOS. when yeah, it first a- came a- out. ADOS right? was a good one. And by the way, when, if I use it. People still recognize it and appreciate it, right? But it's been it's been somewhat, hi- hijacked and uh, yeah, and, tainted. I'm gonna say yeah. tainted. I'm gonna tainted. say tainted. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I found this clip. Uh, this is from Doctor Jose uh, Pimenta Bay. He's from the Moors. Uh, from the Moors, uh, he talks about black ethnicity uh, or black uh, African American. This individual is calling himself white. We're going to react and call ourselves black because we're the opposite. Not really understanding that we're not exactly taking a step in the right direction because now, as I like to say, given all the cult, the linguistic and cultural baggage of black, you are trying to push an elephant uphill on roller skates. You're trying to turn a negative into a positive. Whoa. So, so we talked about this term black, the word black on the show before. We have a throwback clip and it was, I think is, uh, I used the word witch because that's what she referred to herself as. Yeah. Uh, the uh, esoteric meaning in, of black. And it's very negative. <clears throat> and just in the everyday use of black, it's very negative. Uh, but the point he's trying to make is black in the English language was negative before they applied it to us as oh, yeah. a group. Oh, yeah. Black magic. <clears throat> yeah. Black magic. Black. Uh, black. Black market. Black. Black, uh, black you know, plague. Whatever. Black plague. All of them. Whenever you put that word in front of it, it, it uh, notates negativity. Uh, so we really need to start investigating and finding who we are. But the need for us to be black, and he said it in like the first maybe 10 seconds of, of the clip we just played, is it's reactionary to what we've called white supremacy, labeling things as white. And white is synonymous with pure. 
So everything that's not pure goes into used to be black, but now that you have all these multi uh different groups, that's where the people of color come from. It's white and everybody else. <laughs> and yeah. it's binary. Uh and the, my thought behind this is to program anything, you have to have ones and zeros, which is binary. Mm-hmm. So they're programming society by making us ones and zeros. You're you're a one, I'm a zero, right? And there, that's how they program society mentally. Is that crazy? It's actually not because if you look at people that way and you look at it as as the basis, the building blocks of computer code of computer functions mm-hmm. you can assemble these ones and zeros in certain ways to get an outcome i mean i'm taking the metaphor to its extreme but no please do because i mean I, I, you i, I it up there and i mean you should slam it all home so well, yeah continue, so, well so if you want the uh, the binary equivalent of the number uh 38 uh, mm-hmm. That would be one zero zero one one zero, uh, so that's one one white, two blacks, two whites, one black. And strangely enough, the universe sometimes works this way: that things transfer from mathematics into uh, the physical world. So it's yeah. completely. I, I like the analogy a lot of of the the ba- the basic blocks of society are ones and zeros or at least that's the way it's being programmed in our brains yeah and and everything now is what ones and zeros up vote down vote swipe left swipe right everything is binary now oh my goodness mo so let's get into forrest kenny and this guy only has like a hundred something youtube followers but i found this very interesting uh snippet on binary thinking so let's explore how binary thinking works and how it doesn't work much of reality is something like this spectrum of hues what binary thinking does is reduce all these subtle gradations to just two states and so the spectrum of hues is reduced to and labeled white and black one of the many problems with this is that these two different shades are both called black, even though these two shades are much more alike. And these two shades are both called white, even though these two shades are much more alike. So the uniqueness of each shade is lost in this crude way of thinking. Here's another issue. In a binary structure, if you have black, then not black can only be white. yeah yeah so what joe biden did was say if you're not thinking this way or voting this way you're no longer black and he made us white it's by it's completely binary yeah it is then and that's how this how politics work because when they do and the, the image I get is in Matrix in the, in the Matrix Matrix movie. Remember the guy sitting there watching the screen with just the ones and zeros go up? But well, he actually <laughs> yes. sees the he sees what's going on because he can read the code. Yeah. And he knows what, what images are actually um make up the code. Mm-hmm. Um so um what um Dr. Bay had brought up was it's completely reactive. 
The state of being black is reactive to white. That's it. White defines white, and then we're reactive and we say we're black. That's 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 how it works. And that's how the system is designed to work. Well, I'm a big fan, and I actually live my life by um Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh. And, and habit one is, well, let's just get into habit one. Now we want to look at the foundational habit, habit one to be proactive. Why foundational? Because all of the other habits flow out of it. If habit one is present, you can cultivate the other six. <laughs> if it is not present, you will not cultivate the other six. Habit one, be proactive, basically means that your life is a product of your values not your feelings. That your life or the organization's life is a product of your decisions, not your conditions. The opposite of being proactive is to be reactive, which basically means that your life is a function of your feelings your moods, your impulses, other people's treatment. <laughs> and little did he know of the prediction of Twitter in a nutshell right there. And that's what these whole people that can't, they don't like free thinkers because a free thinker is proactive. It's like, these are the conditions. This is what I wanted to do. This is what I can control. This is my decision. They're completely reactive, and that's why they can't jibe with free thinkers because that's what they say. Well, Trump makes me feel bad. It's not about you know what they can control, and you know, well, I'll choose a third option of not voting. You know, I, I just won't participate. That drives them crazy because that's not binary. Am, am I? Am I? Do, do, it's act, it's am act, I making sense? Yeah, no, it's actually. Yeah. <laughs> The, the the third option is actually a quantum thinking in that if you carry the analogy all the way through. Right. And it breaks the system. It breaks the binary system. And that's why people get so bent out of shape because, no, you have to choose between the two options given. And people are like, no, I don't have to choose. I ha- I'm being proactive. I'm being in control of myself. I'm not a victim. I'm not a, um, uh, no, only going to go off my emotions. I'm going to use logic. Well. To wrap this up, I always like to end the show on a high note. Um, we can discuss it after the clip plays a little more, but he lets you know about how you t- take control of your own situations. Think on it this way. Two circles. The larger outer circle, you call the circle of concern. Things you're concerned about. Things you're worried about. But then there is an inner circle. It's very small that are concerns you have influence over. Where do proactive people focus their energies? Which circle? The inner circle. Where do reactive people focus their energies? The outer circle. Why? Because they're victimized. 
<laughs> yeah. And and I'll say if if you've never uh read any of this or 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 seen any of the uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, it's it's well worth looking into, even if you don't wind up following all of the the habits. Uh, you there is takeaway. It's helped me. I think it's helped mil- tens of millions of people. And the biggest thing, this has been a big cornerstone, unknowingly to the listeners of this show, because I don't worry about my circle of concern, right? I'm aware of it, but I don't worry about it because I can't control it. And that's what I always tell people about when we talk about Corona, right? Mm-hmm. They're saying, well, Corona affects black people. You know, it kill, it's killing black people. Why? What can they do to control it? Oh, well, you can eat healthier, exercise, uh, wash your hands. I mean, do the, do the things you can't control and then don't worry about it. And voting, same thing. What can I do to control my, control my situation? I can... No, be be financially responsible. Uh, keep my I spend my money within my community. These things I can't just hear. Oh, I feel so bad because I'm a victim. You know, it gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere at all. And that's why I said we really have. If black is the reaction to white, then we have to start being proactive and define who we are. Basically, in a nutshell, that's that's how we defeat this whole thing. And then once we define who we are and everybody does that, then we're schools of fish. Now we're coming back to the fish again. <laughs> it's like now you have people taking control of their own life, being proactive, and they're swimming. That's 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 my solution. So Mo, every single time we do this, I, uh, I, I, we come to this point in the show, I got a big smile on my face, and you've done it again. This has been a, this has been a, a great one. And particularly in this time, this timing, is, I find it incredibly inspirational. I've again, I've learned more things. Uh, I know I'm not alone, and mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, you know we're. This is good. That's all I can say. It's damn good. This was fun. <laughs> it's just fun. What else? Can you, what else are you going to do as a podcaster on a Monday night? That's it. And I just would tell people control the things that you control, and try not to worry about the things you can't control. And as I always say. Pay attention to everything, and the truth will reveal itself. And we will be back next week. And please consider supporting the show as a producer by going to mofax.com or mofundme.com. Mo, I'll talk to you next week, buddy. All right, talk to you later, Adam. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. 